0: sit back and relax it is time to listen to the old time radio daytime shows we hope you enjoy the program
1: standard of california on behalf of independent chevron gas stations and standard stations throughout the west invite you to let george do it Another adventure
2: of George Valentine. Personal notice. If it's so fantastic you can do nothing about it yourself, then you've got a job for me, George Valentine. Write full details. Dear Mr. Valentine, the writing and rewriting of this letter has proved one thing to me, that I can't find the words to convey my desperation. Somehow, in a way I can't explain, my life has been touched by evil... Pure, undiluted evil. There is something here too strange for me to comprehend.
3: Something unworldly. Unworldly,
4: almost. It is not only for my sake that I ask for your assistance, but for the continued sanity of my fiancé. Accept the enclosed check as a retainer, Mr. Valentine, and please call on me at once. And it's signed, uh, Gilbert Dresser. Oh, this doesn't make sense, George.
2: Well, it makes enough sense to show that Gilbert Dressler is pretty panicky.
4: I know, George, but there's something too strange to comprehend, unworldly. Sounds like he's having trouble with banshees. (laughs)
2: Well, whatever is source of trouble, it's our source of income, Brooksy.
4: But how do people let themselves get into this kind of situation?
2: This kind of situation pays the rent. So let's go find out what's on Gilbert Dressler's unhappy mind. In my ten years on the desert, Mr. Valentine, I've witnessed events that would freeze the very marrow in your bones. Yes, I'm not doubting your word, Mr. Dressler. Terrifying but... events. Things that are only spoken about in whispers, behind locked doors. Yes, but let's be a little more specific. Magic. Voodoo, if you will. An evil beyond evil. They're right here in your own city. But why are you hiring us? Yes, Mr. Dressler. You mentioned something about a fiancé in your letter. What about her? Yes, Gabrielle. I love her.
4: Oh, we're sure of that, Mr. Dressler, but you also wrote something about fearing for her continued sanity. What makes you think her sanity won't continue?
2: Margot. Hmm? Margot? What's that supposed to mean to me? Oh, forgive me. I was referring to Madame Margot. She claims she's a medium. I claim she's a purveyor of black magic. Well, now we're getting somewhere. You're trying to tell us, Gabriel, your fiancé, is somehow being influenced by this Madame Margot. Yes. How? Why, why, she's taking all her money away from her. Oh, how long has this been going on? Since Gabrielle's mother, Mrs. Turner, died. Oh, what happened? Mary Turner was cleaning her hunting rifle, and it went off. Very unfortunate. The sporting world lost a great devotee because of Mrs. Turner's accident. All right, what do you want us to do? Expose Madame Margot. That's what I want you to do.
4: Expose her?
2: Certainly. I've arranged for you to visit Madame Margot this very afternoon. Here, this is her card. And tonight, you shall attend a seance at the Turner Mansion.
4: A seance? Oh, George, there's nothing I like better than an evening cavorting with the spirit world.
2: <laughs> okay, Brooksy, we'll give it a whirl. I never saw a ghost yet who didn't scream when it was pinched.
4: But there's Madame Margot's place, George, 214.
2: Yep, I'll pull up in front.
4: Well, one thing I'll say for George. She's not squeamish about operating in a tough neighborhood. Uh-huh.
2: Well, looks all very proper, Brooksy. Even to the neat little sign on a window.
5: <laughs> Madame
2: Margot, clairvoyant and medalist. Seances by appointment. Okay, let's go. Well, ring the bell, George. Oh, that's a very good idea. Oh great! <laughs> Listen to
4: that local color, will you?
2: In a joint like this, I'll settle for nothing less than a swami. Yeah. You have been expected. Please enter, sahib. Sahib. This way, if you please. Madame Margot offers herself to meditation. However, she will receive you shortly. Straighten your turban,
4: George. Uh, do you mind if we sit down, Mister Ruff? Uh...
6: Hasim. Uh-huh. Upon this level, that is the name by which I am known. Please be seated. Yes, thanks. And now, Haseem will leave you. Seek to attune yourself to the vibration of the sphere.
2: Oh, sure, we'll do just that, Haseem.
4: Well, there's your Swami, George. wonder what bottle he floated out of.
2: I'll bet when that towel around his head is unwrapped, it reads Oasis Motel.
4: <laughs> hey, this Madame Margot must do all right. with the jade vases. Carved teeth. Look at this rug. Oh,
2: Brooksy, for a candy bar in North Africa during the war, I could have filled a barracks bag with this junk.
4: Junk? Why, some of these things are priceless, George.
2: basement gadgets, Brooksy, part of a pitch.
4: Well, I don't want to argue with you, but I... Look,
2: look, Claire, I haven't heard of a setup like this yet that wasn't phony. A shrewd operator in a bathrobe and a crystal ball can make a fortune feeding customers the things they want to hear.
4: Yes, but this Madame Margot is supposed to be uncanny. Yes. Anyway, that's what Mr. Dressler seems to
2: think. Well, I don't know what her act is, Brooks, even I'm making a book that Margot's got a huge investment in trapdoors and mirrors. And one of these days, she's going to trip over her own ectoplasm. Uh, George, or... huh? oh.
7: I know, of course, that Mr. Gilbert Dressler sent you to me. He gave no reason for the arrangement except that you were his friend. Oh, well, Mr. Dressler just likes to be mysterious. I understand that ten years on the desert can do that to a person. He is obsessed with the idea that I bring harm to Gabrielle Turner. He is a stupid man.
2: Yeah. Well, uh, what about this crystal ball here? What can it tell you about me?
7: Very well. Seek yourself in the past and the future. Margot will seek with you. Believe, Margot, and the dimness in the crystal will be swept away and will become as a sudden burst of light. Revealing all. See? Even now the shadow's clear. The image asserts itself. There has been violence and terror in your life.
2: Well, I can't say you're wrong about that.
7: As if many men had come together to do you harm. In a vastness too great for the eye to scan.
2: A vastness?
7: In a desert, perhaps. Many men and many machines, yes, it is a desert, and you are wearing a uniform, George, that's amazing yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: can you tell me where this desert is in what country oh, it is plain.
7: should it startle you that I know to Margo the crystal has
2: no secrets.
7: It is the Sahara oh.
2: <laughs> North Africa, huh
7: of course, Mr. Valentine. What made you ask that?
2: Oh, oh, oh. oh, come off it, kiddo. How gullible do you expect one man to be?
7: What are you talking about, Mr. Valentine? Madame
2: Margot, if you get paid for this sort of thing, I'm going out and rent a sarong and a Turkish towel. That's all I need for an easy life. That and a detective phone with a hidden mic.
4: Get out of here. Now, wait a minute. I've got a couple of other things that I would. Get out of here!
6: Hossein!
2: Why don't you let that poor guy alone, Margot? Making him stand behind those drapes all this time? Perhaps one day you will laugh yourself to death on your poor humor, Mr. Valentine. George, he's got a gun. Don't no worry, Brooksy. Madame Margot can't afford to get rough. This kind of melodrama sometimes leads to scandal. That wouldn't be good business for her. He
7: wearies me with his glibness, Hussein.
2: You should have kept looking in your crystal ball, Margot. Then you could have warned your number one boy. boy. <laughs> Always keep that gun close to his side. You fool. Let's get out of here, Brooksie. Okay, George.
8: You will regret this.
2: Oh, look, honey, don't go dramatic on me. Save those pear-shaped tones for Gabrielle Turner.
8: I
4: don't understand, George. How did she know you were in North Africa?
2: Because she had us tuned in with her little detector phone before she came into the room. Oh. Brooksy, when I was telling you about it, I lied to you purposely. I saw North Africa once from an airplane 10,000 feet up at nighttime.
4: Well, now that we know that Margot reads past, present, and futures by direct wire, what are we going to do? Have
2: dinner, Brooksy. Oh, fine. And we've got a date with a few assorted ghosts. Oh, fine. How about the rest of these people here, Mr. Dressler? Are they friends of the family, too? A cult of vultures, Mr. Valentine. Parasites of the late Maddie Turner, whose interest in spiritualism is heightened by the free champagne served before every seance. Oh, Gabriel. Uh, Gabriel, my dear. Uh, This is Mr. Valentine and Miss Brooks. How do you do? Uh, How do
8: you do? I suppose you're welcome here, both of you. Even though you've come to sneer at us.
2: Oh, I wouldn't put it that way, Gabriel. We're just here to take a look.
8: There have been scoffers before. Please understand that you've been invited only because Gilbert insisted upon it.
9: Gabrielle! Uh, Oh, oh, there you are. Have you explained to Gilbert's guests how stupid they are? Hey, where do you get all your information, lady? I am Gabrielle's aunt, young lady, Vida Patterson. Oh, I happen to concern myself with the caliber of people with whom Gabrielle is forced to associate.
2: What makes you think Miss Brooks is a bad influence, Miss Patterson?
9: Oh, Gabrielle is emotionally high-strung. People like you, people from the outside, upset
2: her. Ah, from the outside. Uh, My dear, uh, the rest of the party is going into the sanctuary. Madame Margot's waiting. Oh, George, not again. Yep. Let's give the old gal another rumble. Oh.
4: Hey, George. The hair on the back of my neck is going to look funny with my permanent. This thing is...
2: Yeah, with all the trimmings. This sanctuary is a great backdrop for Dracula. Candlelight and polka music for a vampire.
9: Have the courtesy to be quiet. Nothing must disturb Madame Margot while
4: she reaches her control. Control? What's that?
2: A voice, Miss Brooks. Margot's link with the spirit world. You'll see, it's very weird. The voice with which Margot speaks will not be her voice at all. Oh,
8: Gilbert, why did you bring these people here? Hush, child, hush. There are alien presences here. Contact has been difficult. But there is a message to one who has traveled from a far place to be here. George! Listen! Listen!
7: So many years. So much time. Gilbert. Listen to me,
8: Gilbert. It's, it's Janice. This is impossible. Please listen to me, Gilbert. Janice, what are you doing here? I thought you ran off to Cairo with Cecil.
7: Rid yourself of those who would bring harm to Margot. They are evil. Remember, Gilbert, I've always known what's best for you, my dear.
2: You haven't changed a bit, have you, Janice? Always showing up at the wrong time and knowing what's best.
10: Janice. Go away.
11: Get rid of them. Get rid of
2: those who do us harm. You
8: never told me about her, Gilbert. You never mentioned a girl named Janice.
2: She was always interfering. Always. I hardly expected her to pop up again, my dear.
8: There is another message here. From one who has newly passed over. She is suffering greatly. Oh, no. She has been murdered. Shot. She suffers from the anguish of knowing her murder. Oh,
5: no.
8: I couldn't help it. I couldn't. Gabriel, <laughs> what is it, child? Her murderer has not been avenged. There is blood on the hands of one who has shed it. Listen. She is trying. Stop it! Me. Megan, leave me alone! I killed her, of oh I killed her! Leave me alone, all of
4: this! Oh, George! I've never seen anything like this in my life.
2: Yeah, this time, Brooksy, the spirits have the right word for it murder. <laughs>
1: We'll return to tonight's adventure of George Valentine in just a moment. Meanwhile, a word about problems, major and minor. You know, a ring that refuses to come off a finger may seem like a major problem, but usually a bit of soap and water does the trick. Stuck rings in an automobile engine would be something else again, and could be very costly, in fact. But today, compounded RPM motor oil keeps the danger of stuck piston rings at just about zero. Even more important, the added compounds in RPM put a stop to the biggest bugaboo of engine wear, internal rust. They also prevent crankcase foaming and stop the formation of gum and lacquer in your car's engine. And a cleaner engine system means extra life for your car. Add up all these advantages of RPM motor oil, and it's easy to see why motorists choose RPM 2 to 1 over any other motor oil in the West. Try this premium quality motor oil tomorrow. Get RPM at standard stations and independent Chevron gas stations where they say and mean, we'll take better care of your car. And now back to tonight's adventure of George Valentine. Well, there's an old saying that murder will out, but when it comes pointing its finger from the spirit world, then George finds himself tangled in one of the strangest cases he's ever come across. And at the precinct house the day after the seance, Lieutenant Riley puts it this way.
2: Valentine, ever since I heard that girl confess to murder while she was talking to a ghost, I've just been breathless waiting for you to drop around. Yeah, it's a wordy, isn't it, Lieutenant?
4: Well, maybe your boys just didn't feel like being clever the day Mrs. Turner was murdered. Is that why you called it a hunting accident? Now,
2: look, Miss Brooks, I'm not perfect like your boyfriend, Valentine. And I'd be the first one to admit that. But as a matter of fact, I personally contribute to the support of you guys. A little thing called taxes. I'm just perfect enough to want a little action for my money. Dialed in time three months ago, we were called in by Vita Patterson to investigate the death of her sister, Maddie Turner. We called it an accident because that's the way the setup looked. Because there wasn't any reason to call it murder.
4: Well, whatever happened to that suspicious nature of yours, Lieutenant?
2: Yeah. A prominent society woman is found dead, shot. A woman who surrounds herself with a house full of sponging friends. Don't you remember what your correspondence course says about a situation like that? Uh,
12: look, look. When a person is found dead with her finger on the trigger, we consider
2: the reports of ballistics, medical examiner, and a dozen other experts. Then we fumbling police arrive at certain conclusions. In the death of Mrs. Turner, that conclusion was accidental death. Hear, hear. Bravo, Lieutenant. But how could so many people fumble about the same thing? Uh, yeah.
4: Does that confession mean that Gabrielle is going to stand trial for murder, Lieutenant?
2: Well, I doubt it. In that household of crazy people, she's the squirreliest of the lot. Unless her aunt, Mrs. Patterson, isn't just a little bit ahead of her. Then Gabrielle will be committed to an institution. Yep. She's home now under the care of a physician and under police guard. She can't even remember confessing much as how or why she killed anybody. Uh Uh-huh. You wouldn't mind if Claire and I dropped in on the Turner family, would you, Lieutenant? (laughs) Sure, sure. Go ahead. you would be in good company. But uh, take my advice and hide when the wagon comes. Those young interns sometimes have trouble figuring who fits the straitjacket.
4: Lieutenant, I secretly love all men who say nice things like that. Oh,
5: it's
2: you two. Beginning to hope that I'd only hired you in a dream. Look, Gilbert, let's both get real grown-up and face facts. You really did hire me, and we're both stuck. I'm not in the habit of paying people who bungle their jobs. It must be quite obvious that I don't need your alleged services any longer.
4: But we haven't finished our job, Mr. Dressler.
2: So if you will return my fee, which you have not earned... Oh, what? yeah, yeah. Well, let's chat, Gilbert. Mind if we come inside? I certainly do. Thanks a lot. Close the door, Brooksy. Now, look, Gilbert, you hired me to do a job. I'm not backing out of it. Why should you? You admit you failed, don't you?
4: You don't have much room to talk, Mr. Dressler. Who was that Janice you were talking to last night?
2: Janice is dead. She died nearly ten years ago.
8: Ten years... Then how did she. Ha- I
2: dislike to say it, but even I am now convinced that Margot is not a fraud. How could she have known about Janice? Oh, it's very simple. You blurted out Janice's name as soon as Margot began to broaden her age.
4: Yeah, it's a good thing Margot didn't drop her H's, Mr. Dresser. You might have come up with the name of some little barmaid in Soho.
2: You're not very amusing, young lady. Now, what about Gabrielle? Where is she? They've taken her away, Mr. Valentine. Poor girl. I was deeply attached to her. Uh-huh. I'll bet her aunt has overcome, too. Vida Patterson is a remarkable woman. She buries her sorrow in her books. Books, ledgers would be a better word. Where is she? In the library. She explicitly informed me that she wishes to grieve. Well, now, that's very touching. Come on, Claire. Oh,
9: what is it, Gilbert? I told you I wanted no interruptions unless it's absolutely necessary. It's
2: absolutely necessary.
9: Oh, Oh, it's the intruders again. Yes,
2: I hate to take you away from your tears, Miss Patterson, but there are a few questions I want to ask you.
4: And by what right? You're not the police. Oh, this won't take long. Just a moment of your lonely time and you can go right back to eating your heart out. What is it you want?
2: I want to know a little bit more about the murder of Maddie Turner. It was murder, wasn't it? Oh,
9: imagine the ingratitude of this child. Killing my poor sister after all the wonderful things we've done for her.
2: Oh, yes, yes. She was so overcome by those wonderful things, she can't even remember killing your sister. Oh,
9: Gabrielle has lapses of memory. An unfortunate trait which she inherited from her father's side of the family. Oh, well, this wealth you were talking about. What happens to that? How could you mention money at a time like this?
2: (laughs) Well, let's mention it anyhow. Who gets it?
9: Well, of course, Gabrielle inherited the mother's estate, and now that she will be declared insane, why, I suppose I... Well, I don't know. I've never given it a thought.
2: No, I'll just bet you haven't. Well, thanks a lot, Miss Patterson. I just know it'll kill you every time you spend a penny of all those thousands of dollars.
4: Get out of here! Miss Patterson doesn't like us, George.
2: Yeah, we've got crazy ideas, Brooksy. All right, come on. Let's go see whether one of them will pay off.
13: makes
4: people like that, George.
2: Uh, if you're talking about the zanies who wander in and out of the Turner mansion, the answer is money. From here, that's the only way the rag makes sense.
4: Well, I don't want to crowd you with funnies, George, but there's Hassim again. Huh? Yeah, he's planted up ahead there, the corner of the house this time. How do you like that? See him in the shadow? Yeah.
2: Let's find out what he's got on his mind.
4: <laughs> Still looks sinister, even in a pinstripe suit. Yeah.
2: Well, Hassim. Doing a little snooping on your own? You go to great lengths to involve yourself in difficulty, my rad friend. Brace yourself, Hassim. You're no friend of mine. Furthermore, you are in our way. Georgie's
4: and... still got that gun.
2: Watch it, Percy. I'll <laughs> take
4: right,
2: the gun quick. Yeah, George. Here
5: you,
4: are. Yeah,
2: you shouldn't carry such things around after dark, Hassim. And so it doesn't accidentally go off and hit somebody, I'll just take out the clip. And the extra bullet in the chamber. You will be sorry you did this. There you are. Take your plaything. I'll keep the bullets. Now, why did Madame Margot send you here? I know nothing. You're so right. Okay, take off, nature boy. Beat it. I'm tired of playing patty cake with people out of storybooks. You know what? It adds up there. It really does. It does? Huh? Huh? Brooksy, I want you to get down to headquarters as soon as possible. Tell Lieutenant Riley to get that whole crew together, all those pixies who were at the seance last night.
4: Including the spirits, George?
2: Including Gabrielle Turner. Tell the lieutenant to bring them all back to the sanctuary. But why? If there really was a murder, Brooksy, I won't be able to live with myself until I find out the reason for it. Right now, I've got a date with a crystal ball. And maybe I'll get a preview. Margot... In the jargon of the street, your chances aren't worth a dime.
7: Stop speaking in riddles, Mr. Valentine. What's on your mind? You
2: are, Margo. Madam, accessory after the fact, Margo. The fact being murder.
7: If I were acquainted with your brand of humor, perhaps I would be amused. I doubt
2: it. Look, you're worried, honey. That's why you tagged that small-time Svengali on me. You could be sent to jail for years and years, and that's really something to worry about.
7: What are you trying to say? Well, I
2: hate to sally those shell-like ears of yours with nasty words, Margo, but... Just take my advice and be my buddy for the next few hours.
7: Why do you speak to me like this? As if I'm As if you're a
2: phony, and you are. You can throw your voice pretty well, but last night you threw it a little too far.
7: What do you want me to do?
2: I want you to finish that seance you started. It never did get done.
7: But for what reason?
2: (laughs) So you can turn state's evidence. Now, a clever girl like you can appreciate a good twist.
7: Mm, I think I understand. Yes,
2: I think you do. So let's not keep the cult waiting, Margot. Besides, Lieutenant Riley is a very impatient man. Valentine, if you can figure out how this girl murdered Maddie Turner By asking Maddie Turner how she did it I'm going to turn in my badge, buy a turban and a crystal ball And apprehend criminals while I sit in my easy chair (laughs) Just stick around, Lieutenant This Margo will give you a lesson you'll never forget (laughs) You know, that's the wonderful thing about being a police lieutenant Every amateur I meet wants to give me lessons
4: But Margo's no amateur All these people think she's the greatest thing that ever happened to them. They believe whatever Margot says.
2: Valentine, haven't you been the cause of enough suffering for poor Miss Patterson? I feel it is my obligation to defend her against your ill manners.
9: Yes, and I demand to know by what authority you have entered my house. Why have you brought Gabrielle here? I'll have the law. You already have it.
2: Lieutenant, this is Miss Patterson. She lives here. You got troubles, Miss Patterson?
9: Oh, I... Why, no, it's just that it's, it's Gabrielle.
12: Gabrielle's okay. She's in the sanctuary with the doctor. I wouldn't worry about her.
2: Maybe we'd better go in. Margot's had plenty of time to get wound up. Okay. Hello, Gabrielle. How do you feel?
8: I don't understand. This all happened before, long ago. A very long time
2: ago. Yes, now, you're all right. Just take it easy.
8: I really didn't mean to. I didn't hate my mother, you know. Just
2: sit tight, Gabrielle. Whatever happens, don't say anything. You understand? Don't say anything.
8: Of course. Of course, I understand. I killed her, but I didn't mean to. Tonight, for the last time, we seek to journey together into a strange land. A strange land where familiar faces and forgotten dreams dwell without perishing. Already the vapors which cloud our way are cleared. There is someone here who is trying to get through. She wishes to speak.
14: Is this why She's you dragged me nation. here, Valentine? I know a ventriloquist when She's I hear one. A you know a lot more than the
8: rest of these people. Just get this she picture. She has been grievously wrong. There is so much that stands in her way of happiness here. She wishes to speak to us. She says an injustice has been done. The way is clear. Speak, stop her. Peace. How do you see this is a fraud? You don't know what you're doing. Send her back. Listen.
2: Oh. breaking up the party, Miss Patterson. Oh. Why don't you relax?
8: Have they harmed you, Gabrielle? Maddie!
7: And you, Vida, all that
8: blood. Your sister's blood. Mine. Murder. Oh, stop it. Stop it. Please, please. Murder. You
7: watched me die. Death becomes you, my. Oh, send it back. Oh, let's stop it. I did it. I did it. I
5: killed it.
2: I killed it. I'll take
8: you over from
2: here, Valentine. Well, how about that, Brooksy? A killer trapped by a ghost. Only there wasn't any ghost.
4: George, if I've got to say it, and I've got to say it,
2: huh? you're a genius. Oh, that's okay, Brooksy. You can say it. But all I had to know was that Margo was a phony and Vita Patterson thought Margo was always on the level. Except once, that is.
4: A stormy genius. What do you mean, except once?
2: Vita paid Margo to produce Maddie Turner and frighten Gabrielle into confessing.
4: Why should Gabrielle confess to a
8: murder she didn't do?
2: Brooksy, there's a lot of evil people in this world. Vita Patterson is one of them. She knew her niece had a memory blank the night of the murder. So all this time, she's been making Gabrielle believe that she killed her own mother.
4: So all you did was make Margo produce Maddie Turner again? Yep.
2: Only this time, Maddie smoked. When Vita heard an imitation of her sister's voice, she thought it was the real thing. It was too much for her.
4: Oh. Well, there's just one thing I still don't understand, George. What happened when you went back to see Margot?
2: Oh, she read my palm. Yeah, she said I had a wonderful heart line. Oh? Uh huh. Margot looked at my hand and said I was a lover.
4: Oh. Well, i got a pretty good heart line myself. Yeah? Look at it, George. Yeah. Do you know what I think, George?
2: No. Tell me what you think.
4: Well, I think we ought to get our heart lines crossed and see what happens. <laughs>
1: And now, a word of importance to motorists. Maybe you've run into the kind of motorist who always says, grease is grease and it doesn't matter where you take your car for lubrication service. Well, don't you believe him? At independent Chevron gas stations and standard stations, they use many specialized grades of RPM greases and oils to give your car a thorough lubrication. And each one is tailor-made to do a wear-saving job at some vital wear point on your car. The regular 1,000-mile grease job at these stations is done by trained experts. They follow a lube chart approved by the manufacturer of your car. And they take pride in doing a spick-and-span clean job for you. Next time your car is due for lubrication service, rely on the standard station or the independent Chevron gas station where they say and mean we'll take better care of your car. Next week, when you tune our way for another adventure of George Valentine, you'll hear... Hey, Brooksy, tell me something.
4: Yes, George.
2: How would you like to play cigarette girl at the Kit Kat Club tomorrow night?
4: You mean in one of those fluffy short skirts and long black stockings? Yeah, the works. Yeah, but what are you talking about, George?
2: We're going to stage a little drama, Brooksy, with a cast of two. A carnation and Art Gary. And I have a hunch the carnation will be the star of the show.
1: This adventure of George Valentine has been brought to you by Standard of California on behalf of independent Chevron gas stations and Standard stations throughout the West. Let George Do It stars Robert Bailey as George with Francis Robinson as Claire. Wally Mayer appears as Lieutenant Riley. Tonight's story was written by Morton Fine and directed by Don Clark. Also heard in the cast were Don Morrison as Gilbert, Irene Tedrow as Margot, Sarah Selby as Vida, Gene Bates as Gabrielle, and Chan Mira as Hassim. Music is composed and conducted by Eddie Dunstetter, your announcer, John Heaston. Listen again next week, same time, same station, to Let George Do It. This is the Mutual Don Lee Broadcasting System.
15: Ready for the story of Ma Perkins, America's Mother of the Air. A homely hometown drama. The true life story of a simple, plain, everyday woman. Ma to everyone who knows her. Ma to the whole town of Rushville Center. Ma's a widow with three children and a business to take care of. Business she's had to learn by hard knocks. But she hadn't been trained for the business world. It's the business of a lumber yard. Yes? A woman who has spent all of her life working in a house, cleaning, washing, and cooking, doing for her family, is left with a lumberyard, a man's business to run in a man's world. There's a chance for her to show what kind of a woman she is, a challenge. Nothing is too big for her to try, nothing too small for her to do. With a heart of gold and a world of common sense, Ma Perkins symbolizes the millions of women who know and who prove over and over every day that it's not money or high position that count first, that bring real happiness in life, but what you do for others and what's in your heart. And so we meet her now for the first time, Ma Perkins in person. She lives in Rushville Center with her three children. Evangeline is the oldest. She's married to a blundering dreamer, Willie Fitz, and they have a small son. Ma Perkins' second child is John, just home from college and now working in the Rushville Santa Bank. And Faye is the youngest daughter, just 19 years old, romantic, eager for life, and tired, very bored with Rushville Center. Here we are now in the dining room of the Perkins home. Ma Perkins is having supper with John and Faye, who live at home with her. Well, oh, there seems to be a little tension among the three at the dinner table. Ma is calling John down a little.
16: Just a
17: sec.
15: Steal and eat. Here's everything already for you. Gee whiz, Ma,
18: you got it. All right, now go
16: ahead and eat. I think he's acting terrible, Ma. Land or go
0: to so you've been living together for 20 years. Since you get got over fighting with each other Made yourself a for it.
17: Well, too bad if a fella can't have his meals on time. He's got nothing else to do.
16: There you are. He's starting all over again. now. now.
17: Well, maybe you don't mind, Ma, but I do. I suppose you figure it's all right for you to work all day at the lumber yard and then come home and fix supper too. Oh, John, something else to do? It's not fair, or fair. He was—that's all she's got to do, practically, is to see the suppers ready when we get there.
16: Well, you've got your supper. For heaven's sake, eat it and be quiet. Don't you could tell me to be
17: quiet? Oh, yeah, nice. I got it all right. After waiting for near an hour. Oh, John,
16: she his Well, it's true. Isn't he the most vile-tempered man you ever heard, Ma?
17: Vile-tempered? You whisper. Hey, you you got a lot of nerve saying anything. You got nothing to do but to get supper ready for Ma and me, and you can't even have it ready on time. Oh, fellow works hard all day. He wants his meals when he's used to get. Them. Oh,
16: you're just making a mountain out of a molehill. here. Mountain
17: nothing. And I'm supposed to eat, I want to eat. do it in Yeah, an hour late, that's all. You had to come home and get her ready. She didn't do anything. Well,
16: in devotion, if
19: I'd have thought she was going to be in such a hurry, I'd have been home sooner, so they could have been right ready on time.
16: You is, I'm
17: not blaming you, Ma. We're down at the lumber yard. You're busy. Stay, i blaming you. Why yes. isn't she here to get supper ready? But I'd like to know if she's got nothing else to do. Now
16: you listen to me, John person I'm not your slave. Just because Ma's been fetching and carrying for you all your life, don't think that I'm going to just. Oh, sure, is that
15: so? well, All I'd like to do is to get <laughs> my meals
17: around here on time. That's all of you flying around all afternoon. Why don't you get home on time so you can get supper ready?
16: The one afternoon that I go now, out? Never
17: mind, Chuck. Geez, Ma. You just encourage her. You. You're the one that ought to be balling her out, not me. You don't show up and you have to do all the work. But you've been working all day down at the lumberyard, too. You have to come home here and fix supper. not fair. She's getting off too easy.
19: Now, now, sir. Never mind. It's
20: all right.
17: No, right? it's not all right. She's got a snap. Nothing to do all day but loaf around. Oh. The only she's got to do is to keep the house clean and see the supper's ready. How often does she do it? She doesn't keep the place clean, and supper's always I
16: won't stand this another minute. Now, well, don't pay any no attention to her.
17: She'll find Sure, sure. Don't pay any attention to her. She'll just encourage your ma, that's all. She ought to have a job she had to go to every day where she really had to work. I guess that would change it.
16: I wish I did have a job, John Perkins, so that I'd be independent, so that I wouldn't have to listen to your conversation. Now, you, listen to me,
21: boozy. you've got to stop this fight. I don't want any more of it, you understand? You're spoiling your supper, and you're spoiling mine, too. Now stop fighting.
16: He's impossible, Ma.
17: Sure. And well, you're the little angel that never does anything wrong.
19: <laughs> <laughs> Mercilessakes.
16: Well, what is it? What's <laughs> the matter, Did Ma.
17: oh, you something funny?
16: Yeah, I did. Thinking you know, how funny it'd be if anybody's listening to us. anybody'd walk in on us all of a sudden, like. How do you mean? <laughs> Mercilessakes, I would you too. If anyone we we's a very happy family, we'd be surprised at it. Well, we didn't hear time
17: with fit, sir.
16: well, I certainly don't want to argue ma, all, but there are times You got no th-
17: excuse for getting supper ready oh, late.
16: Oh, for mercy's sake, Now that I got to stop going starting all over it. It's not
17: fair to let pay go on this way. She's in the wrong. No more than you are. Now stop it,
16: stop it. Mercy, see. You've been talking so much of it'll getting cold. Next
18: thing you know, we'd be complaining about that, and everything was piping hot.
17: All right. All right. That's just like women. Stick together. I might have known it. I guess I know when I'm lit.
21: Mm-hmm. Sometimes, John. Pickett. You're just like the little boy and you picked the Paul Buddle out the cookie
22: jar.
21: Yeah, I it. <laughs> it's, really now.
16: it's like you wanted a cookie and I wouldn't let you have it. All
17: right, all right, I'm done. I won't say anything more.
16: I should think you wouldn't. Well, gee, where... Whiz- they keep feeling it him and only. Mm, all oh, all right. I
19: was a party, kid.
5: Well,
16: he was very nice, man. Huh?
17: Party? That's why we didn't get supper so no,
16: late. You're all done for at a party, you can't expect her to break away
17: and spoil it. Oh, no, no, of course not. Don't make any difference if I have to wait for my supper, or if you have to come home and do the cooking. That's what you're here for, and I don't count it. So.
21: Now, Ma, if he doesn't Now, stop. John, you leave Faye alone. Now, I know she's going to that party, and I said it was all right. If I know you was going to make it a fuss. first. I'd have been home earlier myself. I'm
17: blaming you, Ma. Oh, please.
16: Can't we forget about the whole business?
17: Sure, sure, just forget about it. You're in the wrong, but that's all right. Mm. We shouldn't talk no, about
23: son, it. Now, son, keep telling it yourself. You shouldn't been arguing long enough.
16: I'm not going to stay here another single day. I
17: see. Yeah, well, where are you going? what I'd like to know, where could you go? You can't do anything.
16: That's not true, John Turpin. I could go up to the city. There are lots of opportunities for girls in the city. Oh, I wish I could go. You Did you see, I wish I could go to the city. Perhaps I could do something there. There's nothing for a girl in Rushville Center. It's just a sleepy, stodgy tan. you oh,
19: wouldn't want to go away from home.
16: I wouldn't, know I thought it meant I might amount to something. Don't no I... worry,
17: you won't.
16: Oh, is that so? Well, I'm going to go, John Perkins, Then you can't stop okay. me. Please. Oh, I'd love to, more I'd love to go to the city. I was talking to Don Wallace about it.
19: He told me to
5: give up.
17: Don Wallace? Who's he?
19: Oh, he's that young doctor, son. You know, the one that's working at the doctor's Cindy. Oh,
17: yeah.
19: He's going back to the city, Mr. Faye me the party tonight, isn't
16: he? says I'm just wasting my time here in Rushville Center. He says I'd have more chance to do things up in the city. Oh, man, i go mad. I'd love to. you're a kid, child. I don't know what to say. You going to the city? Why don't you get along? Oh, I could find work. I'm not afraid of that.
17: There's millions of guys starving in the city.
16: Well, I wouldn't. Huh. Don promised to help me if I ever came up. He's got friends, people he could introduce me to. And I could find work. I know I could. I could do office work.
17: Ah, uh, anybody that'd hire you to do office work would be crazy.
16: That's not so, John Perkins. You think you're the only one around here that's any good. Uh
17: huh, you doing office work. Well, you'd be afraid of getting your hands.
16: I would not. You no,
21: no, no, just like my. Oh,
16: man, I go, Ma. Man, I go. Mr. Space. So I don't know what to say. I hate to even think he would When we went down to the station to see Don Off, I said to myself, I'm gonna be on that train someday. I'm going to the city, I'm gonna get ahead.
17: One of these women that wants a career, huh?
16: Well, you certainly can't do anything in this stodgy, pokey place like Rushville Center.
17: Uh, you don't know when you're well off. At least you get with three square meals every day and a place to sleep. I guess there's thousands of girls in the big city that are pretty close to starving.
16: I wouldn't starve.
17: Oh, see? You're a whole lot different than the rest of them, huh? I don't think.
16: Oh, don't pay any attention to her, Ma. Can't I go? My child. are you really serious about this? Yes, Ma. Yes, I am.
17: Ah, she was down to see the railroad station today, and she saw the train pulling out, and so she thought she'd like to go somewhere, too.
16: That's not true. I want to go up to the city. I've wanted to go for a long time. Can't I go, Ma? (laughs) Say yes. Say yes, Ma. Are sure you sure you're serious? Of course, I want to go. Oh, mm. well, best think it over for a do it Oh, I've made up my mind, Ma. Well,
24: listen. You and John go get the dessert now i like get you.
16: All right. Come on. I didn't say to
19: him, long time.
16: I not
15: Yes, Ma, that is a hard decision to make. Your own little girl, little thing, wanting to go to the city mighty big moment in her life, Ma, and in yours. The moment that every mother has to meet sometime or other. Folks, should Ma let her daughter leave home for the city, a new life, friends, new surroundings, and maybe new temptations? Or should she keep her here by her side at home, close to her for a few more years at least? What will Ma do? What would you do in this case? So listen for Mar Perkins tomorrow at the same time, America's mother of the air. A mother with one married daughter and her two youngest children, John and Faye, who are still living in the home she's trying to keep together. A mother with all the joys and sorrows, heartaches and triumphs that only a mother knows. You love Mar Perkins every day, As day. Thousands of other women have already learned to love her, to live through her life with her, to learn wisdom and temptation and happens from her and to her. Now my time's up I'll be with us again tomorrow to know what Ma decides about Faye going to the big city. And remember the theme song for that's the symbol of our own Ma Perkins, America's mother of the air. Until tomorrow, at the same time, this is Jack Murphy saying Goodbye. <laughs>
25: Company brings you transcribed from New York, the Martin and Lewis Show. Our guest tonight, John Carradine, and featuring Flo McMichael, Dale, Dix DeBeele and his orchestra, and starring Dean
26: Martin. Sweet and lovely, sweeter than roses in May. And Jerry Lewis.
27: I can't really sing this bad folks, but if I sing any better, Dean hits me.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
26: Candy kisses wrapped in paper mean more to you
5: than any of mine.
26: Candy the kisses Wrapped in paper You'd rather have em. Well, in the old time You don't mean it When you whisper Those sweet love words In my ear Oh, the kisses. Wrapped in paper mean more to you than mine do dear. You don't mean it when you whisper Oh sweet lover in my ear. in paper Mean more to you Than mine do, dear
25: Well, today is one of those rare occasions when Jerry and Dean have separate plans for the evening. Dean has been invited to go to the theater by John Carradine while Jerry is getting ready to take their secretary, Florence, out on a date.
27: Well, I guess I'm about ready for my day, Dean. How do I look?
20: Well, let's see. Oh, you look all right, Jerry. Only you've got your hair combed differently. It looks pretty silly that way.
27: What's so silly about it? Lots of people part their hair in the middle.
20: Yeah, but not from ear to ear. (laughs)
27: I bet you'll have fun tonight at the theater, huh?
20: Yeah, it should be lots of fun. I ran into John Carradine, the famous actor in The Elevator this afternoon, and he's taken me to the Belasco Theater to see his play, The Mad Woman of Shio.
27: John Carradine? Does he live here in this building?
20: He moved in a few weeks ago. You must have seen him in the lobby.
27: What does he look like?
20: Well, uh, if you took Peter Laurie by the feet and pulled him through a small knot hole, you'd have John Carradine.
27: <laughs> oh, I bet I've seen him, a tall, thin fellow who looks like a villain, wears a black silk hat a black flowing cape, and carries a skull in his hand, And he keeps saying,
20: Alas, poor Yorick. Well, that's him. So
27: he's an actor.
20: Well, of course he's an actor. A man going through the lobby with a skull in his hands. What else could he be?
27: What else? Well, could be a guy going to a psychiatrist to have his head examined. (laughs) I'll go see if I can comb my hair better.
20: Uh, Come in.
28: Good afternoon.
27: Who is it,
20: Dean? It's John Carradine.
28: Hello, Dean. I hope I'm not intruding.
20: Not at all, but aren't you early? I didn't expect we'd leave for the theater for a couple of hours yet. Well, we're in a little trouble about that, Dean. You see, I...
27: Excuse me for not coming in right away, but I was combing my hair.
20: John, I don't believe you've met my partner. Jerry, this is Mr. Carradine. How do you do?
28: Did you say you were combing your hair?
27: Yeah. Dean is always kidding me about my head. Look at me, Mr. Carradine. Tell me what you think.
28: Alas, poor Yorick.
27: (laughs) Say, Mr. Carradine. Yes? How old are you?
28: I'm 43. Why do you ask?
27: Well, because I'm 23. And it's encouraging to know that a person as skinny as I am can live 20 more years.
28: Stop bragging. You're not skinny at all. I'm not? No. Why, in my group, you'd be known as pear shape.
27: <laughs> you know,
20: when you came in, Mr. Carradine, you said something about some sort of trouble. Oh, yes,
28: yes, I'll explain. You see, for the past year, my nephew Leonard has been staying with me. He's only 10 years old. And when I'm at the theater, my housekeeper usually looks after him. Oh, I see. Unfortunately, my housekeeper took sick this morning and I had to send her home. Now I have to find
20: someone to stay with Leonard tonight. Hey, wait a minute. I know someone who could do it. Who? Jerry.
27: Me? Oh, wait a minute, Dean Martin. I got a date with Florence tonight. We're going dining, dancing, and smooching.
20: <laughs> Jerry smooching?
27: Sure, you know, that's like puppy love. Only you don't smooch with a pooch. <laughs> you
28: mean you suggest that Jerry stays with my little
20: Leonard tonight? <laughs>
27: Look, I got a date with Florence, and I'm going to keep it. But I promised her a big evening out on the town. Oh, that
20: costs money, Jerry. How much have you got?
27: Don't worry about Jerry Lewis having money. Let's see what I got here. One, two, five is seven, and five is twelve,
5: thirteen,
27: fourteen, fifteen cents. Fifteen cents? Well,
20: you can't do much dining and dancing on that.
27: No, but boy, oh boy, what's smooching? (laughs) (laughs)
28: Uh,
20: Jerry, if you'll take the job, I'll give you $5 now. And when I
28: return from the theater, I'll give you $10 more.
20: Wow, $15. You could go out tomorrow night, Jerry, and have a real big time.
27: Yeah. Hey, Dean, how many times does 15 cents go into $15?
20: A hundred times.
27: Wow, tomorrow night, me and a hundred girls. I don't know if I'll have enough smoochins to go around. LAUGHTER
28: Then it's a deal?
27: Yeah, it's a deal. I'll go pick up Florence, and we'll come back to your apartment as soon as we can.
28: Well, it was certainly nice of Jerry to agree to stay with Leonard tonight. Now I can go to the theater hall without worrying, I hope. Well, you don't need to worry about Jerry. I only hope you'll have something in common with Leonard. Even though he's only ten years old, Leonard's a very intelligent lad. You see, my nephew is quite brilliant. In fact, he has a near-genius IQ rating of 204. Well, Jerry took an IQ test last month. Now, what was Jerry's score? Sixteen points below Howdy Duty. <laughs> Come, Dean. Let's go down the hall to my apartment. I'll get ready for the theater, and you can meet Leonard. Okay. And by the time
20: Jerry and Florence get back, it'll just about be time. <laughs>
29: Mr. Lewis, where are we going? I thought you said we had to spend our date watching over Mr. Carradine's nephew.
27: We do, Florence, but I want to stop in his toy store down the street. You see, Mr. Carradine gave me $5 advance, so I'm going to buy this kid some toys and be sure I make good.
29: Gee, I'm happy just being with you. I like everything about you. You're tall and handsome. And you don't mind my haircut? Oh, I like it. Sometimes I just sit home at night thinking about you and running my fingers through a scrub brush. Here's the toy shop Let's go in Gee, look at all the toys You know, when I was little I didn't have any toys All my father ever gave me to play with Was a monkey wrench and a rubber sink plunger
27: A monkey wrench and a rubber sink plunger? Yeah
29: He was disappointed because I was a girl What he really wanted was a plumber
5: laughter
27: What he really wanted was a plumber. Sure. Florence! (laughs) What a childhood you must have had, huh?
29: Yeah. While all the other kids were out playing spin the bottle, I was home playing unstop the (laughs) drain. Hey, isn't that a salesman over there?
30: Well, well, hello. Can I help you folks?
29: Yeah. We'd like to see some toys. Yes, for a little boy.
30: For a little boy, huh? Tell me, are you the
29: mother? What a silly question. (laughs) are you the mother? Oh, Mr. Lewis, stop laughing and tell him you aren't. (laughs) Florence,
27: he was talking to you.
30: No, I wasn't.
27: (laughs) Never mind the wisecracks, mister.
30: Here's something nice for a little boy. The Rita
20: Hayworth kit.
27: A Rita Hayworth kit for a little boy? Sure, Florence. See what it says on the box? The Rita Hayworth kit. Paste it together and be the first kid on your block to become an Indian prince. I don't think we better take that. Well, here's a cowboy outfit, Florence. What do you think of that?
29: Oh, I like cowboys. My favorite movie actor is the king of the cowboys, June Autry. <laughs> June Autry,
27: <laughs> Florence. It's not June Autry. <laughs> it's June Blondell. <laughs> what else you got?
30: Well, well, here's a popular item: a little beanie hat with a propeller on top.
27: Okay, I'll take that too. Hey, look, Florence. Here's a toy Leonard might like: a big red rubber ball.
29: Rubber ball?
27: Yeah, right here. What do you think? How does it work? <laughs> How does a rubber ball work? <laughs> Lawrence, that's a silly question. A rubber ball works like... Well, well, well you take it and... Uh, you, uh, you hold it and...
29: You'd think they'd have a book of instructions with these things.
27: Wouldn't
5: you know,
29: I think a 10-year-old boy would like something that's simple and pretty, like this automobile. Doesn't this look good? Yeah.
27: How much is this car, like? $20 million. $20 million?
30: Certainly. That's the original Tucker.
5: <laughs>
27: now, the car is out. Just put the other stuff in a sack. Come on, Florence. We better get back to Mr. Carradine's apartment. Let's hurry. $15 is $15, you know.
28: I can't understand it, Dean. What could be keeping that partner of yours? He's been gone over an hour.
20: Nearly time I leave for the theater. Don't worry. I'm sure he'll be here in time. But we should leave in less than five minutes. We'll make it. You really love the theater, don't you, John?
28: Love the theater? The theater's my whole life. I live the theater. I eat the theater. I drink the theater. And when I stand back and look at myself... Yes? Sometimes I think i would be better off with a good thick steak.
31: Ah, good evening, Uncle John. I have terminated my nap.
28: Very good, Leonard. Come over here. Dean, this is me pride and joy, my little nephew, Leonard. Leonard, I want you to meet a friend of mine, Dean Martin. How do you do? Well, hello, Leonard. You see, Leonard hasn't been exposed to the world at all. In fact, the only things Leonard really cares about are literature, the theater, and classical music. He's probably the best-informed
20: ten-year-old in the world. Gosh, Leonard doesn't sound like a normal kid at all. Tell me, Leonard, do you believe in Santa Claus?
31: Santa Claus? I don't even believe in Clifton Fadiman. (laughs) You
28: see, I'm training, Leonard, for the legitimate theater, or perhaps even the concert
20: stage. By the way, Mr. Martin here is a singer, too.
31: Oh, really? I'd love to hear you sing something, Mr. Martin.
20: Well, I guess it would be all right. We've got to wait till Jerry gets here, anyway. That's Jerry and Florence.
27: Hi, everybody. Sorry we're late, but we stopped by to buy some presents.
28: Thank heavens you finally made it. This is my nephew, Leonard. Sorry we have to rush off, but there's not a minute to spare. Well, bye, everybody. Now, listen, Jerry, you've got to do a good job now.
27: I will, Dean. So long.
28: Come, Dean, or I'll be late for my performance. To be or not to be, that is the
27: question. (laughs) Well, Leonard, here we are. I'm Jerry Lewis. This is my date, Florence. We're going to stay with you tonight till your uncle comes back. So as long as we're going to be together for a while, let's be friends, huh? Why, of course, Mr. Lewis. That's better. Look, Florence and I brought you some nice toys. Here, I'll open it for you. There. Like it? What in the world is it? It's a beanie hat with a propeller on the top. Oh, I see. Yes.
31: It's a very interesting application of the theory forced of draft use in the science of aerodynamics.
29: That's this thing. (laughs) Leonard, that's not it at all. Kids put these on their heads and run, and the thing on the top goes around, and they're crazy about them. Why? Why? Well, all kids think it's a...
27: Well, it's a novelty. It's a new gimmick, you see. it, You know, but this is a hat with a thing. You run around with it, and it spins. It's so much fun. And, well, you wear it, and it's not only... But... but I wish I was dead. LAUGHTER Lois, I appreciate the thought behind your gift,
31: but I think you'd better keep it.
27: You'd enjoy it more than I would. Oh, that's silly. Beanie hats are just for kids. But what I want to know, Leonard, is how come you know about such things as aerodynamics?
31: Oh, I've had a most thorough education. By the time I was seven, I had mastered algebra, trigonometry, calculus, and the rudiments of Chaucer.
27: By the time I was seven, I could make a run of twelve in three-cushion billiards.
29: (laughs) That's nothing. When I was seven, I could unstop a sink.
31: <laughs> well, I've never had a chance to study those arts. I've led a very sheltered life. Uncle John has always wanted me to be a great classical actor. He's raised me on Shakespeare. Goodness, couldn't he afford milk?
5: <laughs> <laughs>
31: I was referring to Shakespeare, the author. If you know Uncle John, you must know Shakespeare's poetry. Oh, his poetry?
27: Sure, I'm hep to his
31: jive.
28: Taboo. Or not taboo, that is the perfume.
31: (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Lewis, my uncle told me that you work in a rather low-encouncil type of entertainment known as a nightclub. That's right,
27: Jerry Lewis. I do a little singing, tap dancing, tell big jokes, kill the people. (laughs) (laughs) I can see that Uncle John
31: was right. It's obvious that the hypertension of your environment is causing your frantic, neurotic behavior.
29: Are you for real? Oh. <laughs> oh my! Look at the beautiful piano over there. Do you play, Leonard? Not truly. Really. Hey, that's a swell idea, Leonard. Go
27: ahead and play something. You know, chopsticks. I'm much prefer playing something I composed this
31: afternoon. It goes like this. <laughs>
27: I can hardly wait till Spike Jones gets his cowbells into that. (laughs) Frankly, I like the more popular stuff by Irving Berlin, Richard Rogers, Cole Porter, and Sam Hockenhaven. Sam
29: Hockenhaven? Who's he?
27: My barber. He hums when he's cutting.
31: (laughs) I'm afraid my training has been towards the classical type of music. Oh, that
27: classical stuff is okay if you care for Fred Waring.
5: (laughs)
31: I mean the real classics. What about one Beethoven, Felix Mendelssohn, Sam Hockenhaven? Sam Hockenhaven. Sure. I get hackers too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I
27: see you got a checkerboard over on the table there, Leonard. Oh yes, Uncle John and I like to relax after dinner with a game or two. Oh boy, checkers is my game. I'm a real champ. You won't stand a chance with me. You want to play one quick game, Leonard? All right. Here's the board. Oh, boy, there, hot dog. There's nothing I like better than checkers. I'm a whiz at it. Okay, I'll go first. There. All right, I'll move here. (laughs) You moved right in where I can jump you, Leonard. Well, did you put yourself in a trap that time? I'll just take that man there. Okay, Leonard, your move. All right.
31: Well, Mr. Lewis... Bye.
27: <laughs> if it's all the same to you, Mr. Lewis, I'd just as soon read. Yeah, sure, Leonard, sure. While you're reading, I'll sit on a sofa and talk to Florence. Florence,
26: come on over.
29: <laughs> oh, Mr. Lewis, we couldn't sit on the sofa with someone else in the same room. Oh, go right ahead. Don't mind me. Just pretend I'm not even here. Okay. Come on, Florence. There.
27: Am I too closey wozy?
29: Oh, no. You're not closey wozy enough see. All righty.
27: There. Is that bettery-wettery? Mmm.
31: <laughs> much bettery-wettery. I think I'd better turn up the air conditioning a couple of notchy watches. <laughs>
27: I think he's awfully fresh Yeah, he is, fine. Gee, Leonard, I never met a kid like you before You're missing out on a lot Now take me, I grew up like any other kid I went to see movies, vaudeville I learned to tap dance and sing Just like Al Jolson And who was Al Jolson? He's the Herbert Hoover of the singing racket (laughs) (laughs) Well, Uncle John has always frowned upon vaudeville Nonsense, vaudeville is where our big stars came from Gee, didn't you ever hear Al Jolson sing a real low-down number? I don't believe so. Or Bill Robinson tap dance? No, but I'd sure like to learn. That's easy. I'll teach you. Come on, help me move this rug back, and I'll show you. There. Now, here's a simple little step that's very easy. Watch. See how easy it is? Oh, boy,
31: am I going to love this. Let's try it together. Boy, will Uncle John be surprised when I show him what I've learned?
20: Gee, Mr. Carradine, I sure enjoyed your play. Really? Yes, and uh, especially your performance. You were wonderful. I certainly hope that Leonard and Jerry have been getting along during our absence. Yeah, me too. I think Leonard will do Jerry a lot of good. You know, with Leonard knowing so much about literature and music, Jerry has probably taken it all in and learning something. Yes, when we go inside, Leonard will probably have Jerry reciting
28: Shakespeare and singing operatic arias. Well, here we are. Let's go in.
27: Boy, Leonard, you just about got it. Just rough it up a little, like this. I'll be down to get you in
28: the taxi, honey. Good jukes. What is this?
27: Oh, hello, Mr. Carradine. Hiya, Dean.
28: What is the meaning of this, Leonard? What are you doing up at this hour? It's way past your bedtime.
27: Ah, uh,
31: Unc, how square can you be with that curfew job? Come on, get ahead. Get with it. Let's live a little.
20: Well, it looks like I had it figured wrong. Jerry's been teaching Leonard. Good
28: heavens, this is terrible. I haven't been so shocked since I saw Jack Oakey playing Hamlet.
31: Come on, Unc. You look beat to the chops. Relax and slip me some skin.
28: Slip you some skin? Egad, I've hardly enough for myself.
27: <laughs>
28: well,
20: what's been going on here, Jerry? Notting,
27: notting. Nothing? Nothing.
32: Leonard
20: and
27: I have just been having a little fun. I found out this kid's just been wasting his time.
28: Wasting his time? Sure,
27: this kid's unnatural. He can handle jive, bop, tap dancing. Tap
28: dancing? you realize what you've done, Jerry? You've undermined ten years of the most extensive cultural training. You've contaminated his mental faculties. You've taken a beautiful thing and desecrated it. I what? You've lost everything up. <laughs>
27: what I've taught little Leonard about singing. I'll put the record on, Leonard, and you show your uncle. Great, man. Solid.
31: I'll be down to get you in a taxi, honey. You better be ready about half past eight. Now, dearie, don't be late. I ought to be... The band stars playing Remember when we get there, honey Two steps, I'm gonna have them all I'm gonna dance up with my shoes When they play those Jelly Roll Blues Tomorrow night
28: Dad troops, this is terrible. This is the worst thing that's happened to the American theater since Abbott met Costello.
27: Come on, Len, we'll show him our tap routine. Okay, Jerry, hit it, son. <laughs>
20: It's three o'clock in the morning. Go to sleep.
27: Okay, Dean. Hey, Dean. What? Was Mr. Carradine sore after I left and took Blanche on?
20: No, Jerry. Mr. Carradine's a nice guy. He even admitted that you were right and that maybe he had been bringing Leonard up too much on the cultural side.
27: I'm glad, because that Leonard's really a nice kid.
20: Yes, Jerry. Now, will you please go to sleep?
27: Okay, Dean. 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 <laughs> thing? Will you please move your bed a little further away from mine? Why? Well, when you snore real hard, the wind spins the propeller on my beanie hat and wakes me up. Oh, Jerry, good night. Good night, folks. Thanks, John Carradine. And thanks to little Lendale, too. See you folks next week, we hope. Goodbye.
5: The
25: Martin and Lewis Show, transcribed in New York, is produced and directed by Robert L. Red and written by Dick McKnight and Ray Allen. Next Tuesday, our guest will be Ralph Bellamy. This is Ed Hurley. He suggesting you tune in to your NBC station each Tuesday evening at the same hour for the Martin and Lewis Show.
1: This is NBC, the National Broadcasting Company.
33: Your Coca Cola Bottler presents Claudia. Claudia, based on the original stories by Rose Franken. Brought to you, transcribed Monday through Friday, by your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca Cola. Relax, and while you're listening, refresh yourself. Have a Coke. Now, Claudia.
0: David. David, I hate to wake you up, but I have to,
32: darling. I'm in here, shaving. You're what? Shaving. I've got an early appointment in Connecticut this morning. I know it, and I wanted to have breakfast started before you woke up, even. The best laid plans of mice and men. Hush up. Don't talk so loud or you'll wake yourself up.
0: Hey, what'd you say about a mouse? Is our kitchen mouse in the bathroom with you?
32: (laughs) No. No, I'm all alone. Go back to sleep. I'll get my breakfast at the station.
0: You'll do nothing of the sort. I'm not the kind of wife who lets her husband eat out. What do you think?
32: I'll take the will for the deed. I have to catch the 8-3 to Redbury, and I can't afford to miss you it.
0: You won't miss it. I'll be dressed in no time.
32: Darling, please stay in bed. Believe me, it'll be easier all it's the way the around. the
0: principle of the thing, though. Oh, where'd I put my mules? Hmm. This country wasn't built by women who stayed in bed while their husbands got up and went out to hew the soil.
32: This country wasn't built by women, period. I'm not going out to hew the soil. Anyway, you don't hew soil. I'm, I'm just catching the train to Connecticut.
0: Well, you're going to catch it with a good breakfast in your stomach. You're in my way. Move over.
32: Say, you're not going to take a bath, are you?
0: I took my bath last night. Just let me wash my teeth a minute.
32: I still say it would be faster if you stayed in bed.
0: Look, don't you want to have breakfast with me?
32: Sure I do. But I also want to get shaved. The lather's getting dry.
0: It's nice lather, by the way. Kissing you is like kissing a lemon meringue pie made with lilac.
32: That's the soap. It's not lilac. Or is it?
0: It's lilac. Not too strong, though. Don't worry, darling. Nobody me, would notice. All right, I'm out.
32: All finished? Yep. For keeps? Yep. Uh, too good to be true.
0: All I have to do is comb my hair. Oh,
32: I thought you so. You can have the
0: mirror to shave in one second. Go on, be a good boy. Move over.
32: This apartment seems to be getting smaller in the morning.
0: I suppose you'd like it if I put the coffee on in a kimono.
32: Frankly, I'd prefer it in the percolator.
0: Goop. <laughs> also, I'll be glad I don't have to scramble into a girdle and hold up the bathroom putting on lipstick and rouge.
32: Haven't I told you how glad I am about that? No. Well, I'll tell you now. Come here.
0: That glad?
32: That glad.
0: David, am I really a good wife?
32: Well, you're the best I've had to date. Your coffee's pretty good.
0: What do you mean pretty? What's more, a bride's coffee is usually undrinkable. David, how long is a bride a bride?
32: Till she gets some sense.
0: I say you're a bride until things begin to go wrong.
32: Then you'll be a bride until you're an old lady. That's very sweet. Optimistic, too. Now run along and fix breakfast. Quick, quick, quick. Scat. All
0: right, all right, all right, all right. Hey, leave the door open while you shave so we can talk to each other. I don't like
32: to talk to each other while I shave.
0: Then you just listen. I like company while I do things.
32: Hey, Claudia. I'm cutting myself to ribbons. What's happened to this razor?
0: Why, nothing. You know I don't shave.
32: Listen, I know you didn't shave with it, but did you use it to open something with Oh, what? Come on out with it.
0: Well, there was a little paint on the windows yesterday. Say
32: no more, Claudia. There is one thing in violet to a man, and that's his razor. Never use my razor again, again for anything, for cleaning windows or anything else.
0: David, you are not talking to me like a bride. I'm
32: talking to you man to man. It's an unwritten law. A wife is not to tamper with her husband's razor.
0: How much does a razor cost?
32: It's not the cost. She put it before. It's the principle of the thing. Suppose I didn't have another blade.
0: But you have, though, haven't you? David, answer. Have you?
32: Yes, I have one that I hid.
0: Then I think you're very inconsiderate to make such a big fuss over nothing.
32: I'm inconsiderate. Just because I happen, happen, mind you, to have an extra blade, I'm in the wrong. Oh, you're the limit.
0: Then why'd you marry me if I'm the limit?
32: I guess I like people who are the limit.
0: It's good. David, we almost had our first fight. you know it?
32: Mm, We came mighty close to it. Is uh, breakfast on the way?
0: Coffee's on. David, do you really want two-minute eggs? They're so wishy-washy. I
32: like them wishy-washy. You can drink them. They go down quicker. Look, darling, I'm in a hurry. Let's skip the eggs this morning.
0: You will not? You can't go to Connecticut without eggs. Nice eggs like I'm cooking? Are you putting your tie on yet? No. Tell me where you are. What's it to you? Nothing to me, but everything to the eggs. I've timed you for a week now. I put them in after you've got your tie on, and they're just right when you come to the table.
32: (laughs) Eggs are cooked with a clock, not by a man's tie. Anyway, I'm nowhere near my tie. I'm only up to my socks. My, you're slow. At the moment, I have one brown sock and one blue sock. Best-dressed men are wearing them the same color this season.
0: Oh, you must have taken them from the wrong pile.
32: Are there... Two piles?
0: Yes, because some of your socks have holes in them, so I make two bundles.
32: Even so, darling. With socks, you roll them up in pairs that match. Not just any two unrelated socks that come into hand. Don't
0: be silly. They're rolled up that way because they don't match. Eureka! What's happened now?
32: I found another blue sock.
0: That was clever of you.
32: Hmm. There's a hole in the toe.
0: Naturally, you took it from the wrong bundle.
32: Sweetheart, darling angel, I could joyfully wring your neck.
0: David, I think you really mean that. Oh, don't let's fight over little things. Or big ones, either.
32: Yes, let's don't. I'll count to ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I would still like to ring your neck.
0: Well, ring it. That was nice. I like you to ring my neck.
32: That's all the time I have to ring necks this morning. I'll wear the whole. Oh,
0: you'll feel uncomfortable all day. I know. Let me find you another I
32: haven't got time. I'm catching the 8-3. Toss me my tie and hustle with uh, hustle with that breakfast. It's ready. Oh, no, stop joking. I, I'm really in a hurry. I'm not
0: joking. It's ready. I always put everything out the night before, even the table set.
32: I'm surprised you don't make me eat my breakfast the night before.
0: Say, so, you know, it would give us more time in the morning to have breakfast behind us.
32: I think it would be better just to let things go along in their old humdrum way. Look, darling, you're underfoot like a puppy. Now, scat, scat, scat. That
0: is for cats. I wonder what's for dogs. I
32: never thought of it. Remind me to figure it out tonight. Now, come along to breakfast.
0: Doesn't the coffee smell good?
32: Yeah, it smells pretty strong.
0: Oh, David. What? It's boiled away.
32: Well, never mind, darling. It's all right.
0: But I do mind you can't go off without coffee. I'll add water.
32: I don't like coffee with water added.
0: You'll never know it.
32: But I do know it. I just have my eggs and cereal.
0: No cereal. It's prunes this morning.
32: Prunes? I did not get married to eat prunes.
0: Mama told me to give them to you once a week. They have... Iron
32: or something in them. That is the first nasty thing your mother has ever done to me. Now, just wait till I see her. Just wait.
0: Then what will you eat?
32: The eggs will be enough. Here, I'll... They're hot.
0: They just came off the stove. What do you expect?
32: Hey, hold on. These eggs aren't soft-boiled. They're hard as rocks.
0: Oh, David, they passed the two-minute stage. That's
32: putting it mildly. They're practically ready for college.
0: Here, let me cook you some more. It'll only take a minute. I I mean two minutes.
32: I I have to go. I have to go on.
0: But you can't go on an empty stomach.
32: You'd be surprised. Goodbye.
0: David, come back. You haven't kissed me. I haven't time. But David, promise me you'll get breakfast at the station.
32: That's what I wanted to do in the first place.
24: Claudia, what is the matter with you?
0: Nothing, Mama.
24: Don't tell me nothing. I don't Mm -hmm. like the way you've been acting all afternoon. Oh,
0: shopping makes me a little tired, I guess.
24: Since when? Come on, out with it. What's bothering you?
0: Nothing.
24: What did you and David quarrel about this morning?
0: Mama, how'd you know we had a quarrel? Whose fault was it? Your fault. My fault? There is one
24: thing I will never do, cause any trouble between you and David. Oh,
0: what are you talking about? He adores you. He thinks you're just about perfect, except for prunes. Oh, The prunes were only the finishing touch, though. It was really his socks that started it. Socks? He should have taught me to darn socks better, Mama. Darning gets me darn. I've absolutely no talent for it. How
24: do you know? Have you tried it?
0: No, I haven't gotten around to it yet. What do you expect? Have you got a darning egg and darning needles in the house? I've got regular eggs and regular needles, and that's good enough for any sock.
24: Mama, look! Don't get off the subject. Look at what! That
0: pet shop. There's a monkey in the window. Mama, quick! Come on!
24: Stop pulling at my elbow. I am not interested in monkeys. What I am interested in is buying some darning cotton to patch up your marriage.
0: wait a minute. Just look at him, can't you? Isn't he fascinating?
24: I fail to see anything fascinating about an ugly little monkey. He is
0: though. Watch him swing. look! 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 Look at him, Tennessee. How do you look?
24: I do not like monkeys. They're dirty and they're homely. Of
0: course they're homely. That's what's so cute about them. I'm going in the shop a minute. You're going
24: to do nothing of the kind.
0: Silly. It's no law against just looking around. There ought to be... Claudia, come back. You go buy some darning cotton. I'll meet you later. You're not
24: fit to be trusted in the pet shop alone. Oh, wait for me. I'll go in with you.
0: Oh, Mama, look over there at those puppies. Oh, couldn't you just eat
24: them? No, I could not. Come along out, Claudia. The place smells terrible.
0: Oh, all pet shops smell terrible. Well, what can I do for you ladies? A nice little puppy? Oh, what kind of puppies are those?
11: Well, uh, those are uh, they're very fine puppies. They're, um, well, as you can see, wonderful puppies. <laughs> Their mother was a nice puppy, too. Oh,
0: they're adorable, but I can't seem to place the breed.
11: Well, like I told you, miss, they're just puppies, and they're going to grow up to be uh, just dogs. You know, some of the best dogs there is is... Uh, uh, Well, it's just dogs.
0: Uh, My husband wouldn't like a small dog, but I am interested in the monkey in the window.
11: Oh, that's a nice monkey, that is.
0: Do they make good pets?
11: Depends if you like monkeys. Some people like monkeys. I just sold one to Leola Day, the picture actress. She likes monkeys. My daughter isn't a picture actress. Besides, I heard that monkeys bite. No, this here monkey only bites men. He likes ladies all right, but it's funny how we just don't like men. All David would need would be to come home after the prunes and be bitten by
24: a monkey in his own house. Now come on, let's go.
0: Hey mama, wait a minute. Uh do you think there's any chance that those puppies might grow up into big dogs?
11: Well, lady, that's anybody's opinion, but I'd say they'd grow up small. Looking at them, you sort of get the idea that a cocker spaniel is about their biggest ingredient. Uh,
0: then I, I won't even get friendly with them.
11: Oh, of course, one of these might. Uh, no, 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 I, I guess not. Uh, lady, you wouldn't want a really big dog now, would you? Sure, have you got one here? No.
0: Thank heavens.
11: Not here, I mean, but out on my place in Long Island, I've got a great dog.
0: What kind of a great dog?
11: Lady, there isn't any use describing this dog I'm speaking about. He's got to be seen to be appreciated.
24: Why isn't he here?
11: Well, no, he's sort of too large to keep in the shop, but I could bring him in. We wouldn't dream of troubling you. I would. Would you bring him in? Why, sure I would. No trouble at all. It's only across the river. You two ladies come back tomorrow, and I guarantee you'll fall in love with
0: him. Oh, please do, if if you're sure you don't
24: mind. Claudia,
11: are you utterly mad?
24: What on earth would you do with a great big dog in a tiny little apartment? Patch up
0: our marriage.
24: Try some darning cotton instead. Oh,
0: it wouldn't be half as exciting. David and I need a pet of some kind, something alive and, and, and living to bring us together. In due
24: time and God willing, you'll have a baby. That's alive and living. Can't you wait until then?
0: Oh, we'd have to wait too long. But we can have a dog tomorrow, Mama. He's just across the river.
33: All story material used in this broadcast of Claudio was under the supervision of Rose Franken and William Brown Maloney. When you have young folks in the family, you just can't tell when they'll be trooping home with their pals. But you sure can tell that they'll be heading straight for the refrigerator to get out the frosty bottles of Coca-Cola. Now that there's more Coke available, keep your icebox stocked up. Every day, Monday through Friday, Claudia comes to you transcribed with the best wishes of your friendly neighbor who bottles Coca-Cola. So listen again tomorrow at the same time. And now this is Joe King saying au revoir and remember, whoever you are, whatever you do, wherever you may be, when you think of refreshment, think of Coca-Cola. For ice-cold Coca-Cola makes any pause the pause that refreshes.
13: The only
19: coffee in the world? Well, your father says so. And your father knows best.
1: Yes, it's Father Knows Best, transcribed in Hollywood, starring Robert Young as father. A half-hour visit with your neighbors, the Andersons. Brought to you by America's favorite coffee, Maxwell House. The coffee that's always good to the last drop. Quite a few years ago, a poet said, Write me a verse, my old machine. I lack for an inspiration. The skies are blue and the trees are green, and I long for a long vacation. Well, writers aren't the only ones who dream of blue skies and Elysian fields. They just talk about it more than anyone else. Bankers and bricklayers, cobblers and carpenters, they all dream of vacation time, even as you and I. Even as do the Andersons in the white frame house on Maple Street. Like this. Well, give me one reason. Give me one good reason.
19: Jim, we've been spending our vacation at Round Lake for almost ten years.
1: That's what I mean. We're in a rut.
19: But you've always liked Round Lake. Why this sudden affection for Highland Hills?
1: Because, honey, look, I had a long talk with Henry Liggett today. You've
19: said yourself, we can't afford to do the things the Liggetts do.
1: But Henry said it isn't expensive. Maybe a little more than Round Lake, but uh, not much.
19: I like Round Lake. It's small, it's informal. And you've always liked it, too.
1: Margaret, it isn't that I don't like Round Lake, it's just that... Well, you mustn't forget that we're getting ahead in Springfield. I'm a successful businessman. I've got to conduct myself like a successful businessman. There's a certain uh, dignity about Highland Hills. Father! What is it, Betty?
34: Did you remember to pick up my blue dress at the cleaners?
1: It won't be ready until tomorrow.
34: He said he'd have it today.
1: Remind me to call my lawyer in the morning. We'll sue. Ha, ha. (laughs) Ha, ha. She's got a whole closet full of dresses, but if she can't have that particular one... Uh, what was I saying?
19: Highland Hills is dignified.
1: Oh. Well, we'll meet a lot of people who may do me a great deal of good in a business way. And besides...
19: They have a wonderful golf course.
1: Yes. Uh, no, I mean... Uh, <laughs> Margaret, Henry Liggett assured me...
19: Jim, you don't seem to understand. A vacation has a definite purpose. You're supposed to Relax.
1: Why can't you relax at Highland Hills?
19: Because it's a very fashionable resort. Everyone is always dressed to the eyes. There isn't a peaceful moment in the entire day.
1: That isn't so. Why, Henry Liggett told me... Mother!
19: I'm sorry, dear. What is it, Kathy? May I
13: have a glass of milk? Not now, dear. We'll be
19: having our dinner in a few minutes.
13: But I'm thirsty.
1: Drink some water. Water? Sounds as though she never heard of the stuff.
19: (laughs) Jim, you know, there are several things you seem to have forgotten. First, we've had our reservation at Round Lake since last August.
1: That's no problem, Margaret. They can get rid of that cottage in two minutes if we give it up.
19: And second, you take only a two-week vacation and, of course, weekends, but the children and I are gone for the entire summer. Certainly you ought to consider our feelings in the matter.
1: All right, I'll tell you what. We'll take a vote on it
19: kind of a vote.
1: I'll explain the whole setup to the kids, and then we'll take a vote. Round Lake versus Highland Hills. That's fair, isn't it?
19: Jim, that's the silliest idea I've ever heard. Do you mean you're going to let a mere infant like Kathy...
1: Well, she'll only have half a vote. Jim. And to make sure I get a fair shake, I'll take the other half.
19: All right, Jim, I just
23: hope you know what you're doing.
1: I think I do. Betty, Bob,
23: Kathy! Coming, Jim. It's about time. I'm starved. Your father wants to talk to you, bud. About what? I didn't do anything.
1: Did I? Do
34: you
8: want me,
13: father?
1: Come down here. We've got something important to discuss.
13: Oh? Okay. What's all the shooting for,
1: partner? Kathy, if you don't...
13: Oh, Kathy, look at your dress. It got splashed.
1: That's the greatest understatement of the week. What were you doing? Deep-sea diving in the sink?
13: I was taking a drink.
1: Well, why didn't you use a glass?
13: You said I should drink some water. You didn't say to use a glass. Daddy. <laughs> yes, Daddy? Breathe. What?
1: I haven't told you to breathe lately. I wouldn't want you to stop now.
23: <laughs> Dad, I think I know where I can find it if somebody didn't take it.
1: If somebody didn't take what?
23: The library book. What
1: library book?
23: The one I lost. Is that what you want to talk to me about?
1: No. Oh.
34: Father, Mr. Manassian promised that he'd have the blue dress ready today. Betty,
1: he didn't feel well. He had a headache.
34: Oh. Well, I didn't need
23: it anyway. Dad.
1: What is it, bud?
23: Joe Phillips and I are going to chip in and pay for the parking ticket together.
1: You got a parking ticket? You
23: didn't want to talk about that either, huh? (laughs)
1: No, but we will Yeah, I figured we would
19: Jim, we only have a few minutes before dinner. All right,
1: Margaret, I'll tell them about it right now
19: Well, while you're doing that, I'll put the biscuits in the oven
1: That'll be fine, dear Kids, what would you say if I told you we weren't going to Round Lake this summer?
13: Father!
1: Holy cow, Dad.
13: We didn't do anything, Daddy. Now,
1: wait a minute. There's no need to get all upset. I was merely trying to find out what you think about going somewhere besides Round Lake, that's all.
34: Besides, you mean we can go someplace else? For the whole summer?
13: Creepers.
23: Hey, I know a good place to go. Now,
13: just a minute, Bud. I want to go to Camp Mishawaski. <laughs> No, wait a minute. Father,
23: there's the most heavenly place. I know, a place way up in the hills, and Joe Phillips says they don't do anything all day but play baseball. Stop it. Dick
34: Andrews and Bill Martin are going to be the lifeguards, and they told me
13: you've never seen any place.
1: I said stop it.
13: Patty Davis is going to Camp Mishawaski, and if she can go to Camp Mishawaski, I don't see why I can't go to Camp... Stop it! Mishawaski?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anything like this in my life anybody think you were reared in a barn.
34: But, Father, you said... Never
1: mind what I said. I didn't say anything about Dick Andrews or Joe Phillips or any idiotic camp wishy-washy. <laughs>
13: Mishawaski.
1: Thank you. Now, if you'll just simmer down for a few minutes, maybe I can get a word in edgewise. It's not a question of going just any place. I've got another spot all picked out.
13: Is it Camp Mishawaski?
1: No, it isn't Camp Mishawaski. <laughs>
13: She will.
1: And it isn't the place where Dick Andrews is the lifeguard or the place where they do nothing but play baseball with antelopes all day.
34: (laughs) Jumping creepers.
1: Go ahead, bud. What? I said go ahead, drop the other shoe. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) All right. Now, I've been talking this whole thing over with your mother and we've agreed to put it to a vote. We'll decide between Round Lake and... Yes? Island Hills.
23: Oh, no.
1: Gosh, Dad, what
23: do you want to go there for?
13: I want to go to Camp Mishawaski. <laughs> yeah, I didn't go to bed. It isn't even dark yet.
1: Well, close your eyes and go to bed.
13: <laughs> Can't I just close my mouth?
1: All right. But keep it closed.
13: Yes, Daddy.
1: Most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Anybody think I was asking you to go to Siberia to work in the salt mines? I'd rather go to Siberia. (laughs) Well, we'll see if it can be arranged.
34: Father, Janie Liggett went to Highland last year and she hated
1: it. Is that so? Her father said they had a wonderful time.
34: But it's just like the old lady's home.
1: You have to walk around on your tiptoes and you can't even talk. Kathy. Kathy.
13: I didn't say anything, Daddy.
1: Highland Hills is one of the finest resorts in the entire country.
34: But it's so dead, Father. There aren't any boys there. Or anything.
1: Well, Bud will be there, and he's a boy.
34: Father.
23: Boy, am
1: I going to have fun.
23: Look, I know
1: it's your vacation. I want you to have a good time. But don't you think we ought to pick out a place we can all enjoy? You mustn't be selfish about it. Bud, you wouldn't like a place that's all cluttered up with Betty's boyfriends, would you? I'd like it better than Highland Hills. And Betty certainly wouldn't want to go to a spot where they do nothing but play baseball, would you, Betty?
34: I'd rather go there than Highland Hills.
1: And you certainly wouldn't want to wind up in a hole called Washy Whiskey.
34: (laughs)
13: Mishawaski.
1: That's even worse. (laughs) Now, at Highland Hills...
34: Father, why can't we just go back to Round Lake? Everybody likes it up there.
1: Highland Hills is a place for comfort and relaxation. It is noted as a fisherman's paradise, a spot where whole families can enjoy a peaceful, restful vacation in the most attractive of surroundings. Nestled in the foothills... Daddy! What is it, Kathy?
13: Patty Davis is going to Camp Mishawaski, and she's my best friend, and I don't care if I do have to go to bed. I don't like Highland Hills.
1: Well, I'm not concerned whether you do or not. You only have half a vote.
5: What? <laughs> Jim,
34: dinner's
1: ready. Oh, we'll be here a second, honey. I was just explaining to the children...
34: Mother, we don't want to go to Highland Hills.
23: You can't have any fun up there, Mom. honest, you can't.
1: Now, just a minute. Jim,
19: if the children feel that strongly about it...
1: But they haven't given me a chance to explain.
19: We've always been very happy at Round Lake. It's not
1: a question of Round Lake. They've all got a different place they want to go. And for the most idiotic reasons, because they play baseball or because Dick Andrews is a lifeguard, why should the whole family go to a place we know nothing about just because Dick Andrews is a lifeguard?
19: Betty, why don't you answer the phone?
1: I'll answer it myself. man wants to do something special for his family, and what thanks does he get? Everybody acts as though I was sending him to jail. Silliest family I've ever seen. Hello?
34: Mr. Anderson, I have all the
24: information for you on Highland Hill.
1: Oh, hello, Miss Thomas. Uh, what did you find out?
24: They have a two-bedroom cottage available for the season. Good. And the manager says he's quite sure that cooking privileges can be arranged.
1: Fine. Uh, what did he say about the rates?
24: Well, there isn't much choice, Mr.
19: Anderson. They just have this one cottage left at $54. That's without meals, of course.
1: $54? Say, that's wonderful. That's even less than Round Lake.
19: I don't think so, Mr. Anderson.
1: Miss Thomas, we've been paying $500 a season at Round Lake, and that comes to over $60 a week.
19: Mr. Anderson... This is fifty four dollars a day.
1: Well, naturally, but <laughs>
19: a what? Fifty four dollars a day. Fif-
1: fifty four dollars a day?
19: That's right. Uh,
1: thank you very much, Miss Thomas. I'll uh, I'll see you at the office in the morning.
19: Would you like me to call them about the reservation tonight? No,
1: I uh, I uh, think we'd better forget about it for the time being. I uh, thank you again, Miss Thomas.
34: Good night.
1: Good night, Miss Thomas. Fifty four dollars.
19: Jim, everything's getting cold. You won't enjoy your dinner at all. What? I said it. Jim, what is it?
1: Uh, nothing, Margaret. But I've just had a great idea. Oh? Yes, sir. Absolutely great. Instead of arguing about Highland Hills and all those other places, why don't we just go up to Round Lake? <laughs>
25: Everybody certainly had his own idea on the big vacation. So often that's the case. We all want something different. But I'm pretty sure there's one case where millions of folks all want the very same thing. I think you'll all agree, and a cup of coffee, flavor's the thing you want. And naturally, when you buy a pound of coffee, you're after the most in flavor for every penny you spend. That's just what you get, too, in our Maxwell House coffee. Here's the most famous flavor in all the world wonderful, good-to-the-last-drop flavor that makes you say,
35: Mmm,
25: mmm, that's real coffee. You won't find that famous flavor in any other coffee either. No coffee but Maxwell House. And for good reason. We have a recipe, a mighty special recipe. With it, our Maxwell House people select certain fine varieties of coffees, then blend them in a particular way. It's the one way, the one recipe for famous good-to-the-last-drop flavor. And it spells the big difference between the flavor of just any coffee and the wonderful goodness of America's favorite brand. But taste that difference for yourself. See how much more flavor, more real enjoyment you get for your money in our Maxwell House coffee. Bring home that familiar blue tin tomorrow. Enjoy coffee that's always good to the
1: last drop. It's a hot Saturday in Springfield A hot, sticky Saturday With the heat clinging like a moist blanket To the city streets And the leaves hanging limp and motionless On the branches of dusty trees In the white frame house on Maple Street, however There's great activity The Andersons are preparing to leave on their vacation And that's always a hectic occasion like this. Let's see now. Uh, does that take care of all the office details, Miss Thomas?
24: You wanted to send a memo to Mr. Buckley.
1: Oh, that's right. Uh, memo to Phil Buckley, home office, subject, summer vacation. Uh, dear Phil... Jim! I'm sorry. Yes, Margaret?
19: Before Bud takes your bag out, do you want to take both pairs of bathing trunks? Yes, dear. The old pair is full of holes.
1: Well, then leave them out.
19: I may be able to fix them.
1: Well, then put them in.
19: But I think you really ought to get a new pair anyway.
1: Then leave them out.
19: <laughs> oh, I think I'll take them along, just in case.
1: All right, dear. Oh, Where were we, Miss Thomas? Subject, summer
19: vacation, dear Phil. Oh,
1: yeah. dear Phil, as is my usual custom, I'm dividing my annual vacation into two separate weeks, the first of which I am about to take now. In order to establish my family at Round Lake...
34: Father!
1: What is it, Betty!
34: Mr. Manasseh never brought back my blue dress.
1: I brought it back myself. No,
34: you didn't, Father. You said he had a headache and... Oh, never mind. Here
1: it is. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, Miss Thomas. What did I say?
9: In order to establish my family at Round Lake...
1: Miss Thomas, when you get into the office on Monday, why don't you just copy the memo I sent him last year? He won't know the difference. All right. Oh, call Mr. Gribble first thing Monday... Good grief.
8: Bud! He's taking the bags out. Kathy! You
19: sent her out to bury those worms.
1: Oh. Well.
19: Do you want me to answer it?
1: No, thanks. I'll see who it is. Wants to carry a whole can of worms up to Round Lake in my suitcase. (laughs) Hi, Jim. Oh, hello, Ed. Come on in. I just came by to see if you needed any help. Well, that's mighty nice of you, Ed. Uh, You know me. Strong back and a weak mind.
19: (laughs) Who was
1: that, Jim? It's Ed Davis, honey.
19: Oh, Ed, I want to speak to you. I'll be right down.
1: Okay, Margaret. Just about ready to push off, huh? Just about. And so help me, you'd think they were going away forever. You've never seen such a lot of junk. Get your trunks packed? Oh, sure. They went off yesterday. But we've got about a dozen bags. I don't know how I'm going to get them all in the car. Yeah, well, you'll manage. Ed,
19: I'm so glad you stopped by. I wanted to give you our key.
1: Oh? Of course, I don't suppose there'll be
19: an emergency, but if there is, well... There it is.
1: I'll keep an eye on the house, Margaret. Don't you worry about a thing. Oh,
19: thank you, Ed.
1: Margaret, you know I'll be back in a week. It isn't as though the house was going to be deserted all summer.
19: I know, dear, but I'll just feel better.
23: Dad.
1: We're in the hall, bud.
23: Say, Dad, I got everything in except Betty's suitcase.
1: Why didn't you put that in?
23: She's still packing it. It's all packed.
1: That girl's got ears like a rabbit. (laughs) Except when you need her. Bring it down, Betty.
34: I can't close it.
1: Oh, Bud, go upstairs and sit on Betty's bag. Are we almost ready to leave? We are ready to leave. Take Betty's bag out to the
23: car and we'll be all set. Okay. Boy, I don't know what this family would do without me.
5: <laughs>
19: Jim, are you really ready to go?
1: Sure. I just have to tell Miss Thomas one more thing. Uh, Miss Thomas?
36: Yes?
1: Oh, great. It's huh. busy little joint, isn't it? We'll get out of here at midnight you, Jim. Well, hello, Heck.
19: Oh, Elizabeth. Margaret, dear, we just had to come over and say goodbye.
36: Oh, how sweet. I told her you'd be up to your ears, but she wouldn't listen. Hector? Well, they're going away on a vacation. They haven't got time to stand around and
1: gab.
19: Oh, Hector, you know we're always glad to see you and Elizabeth.
1: Say, Heck, would you and Ed like to do me a big favor? Sure. Just name it. See if Bud got our bags in the car all right. Somehow, well, he did it too fast. Sure Come on, let's go in We'll have everything all set for you, Jim Thanks
4: Is there anything you want me to do, Margaret?
19: I can't think of a thing, dear I've locked all the windows Defrosted the icebox
1: Margaret, everything is taken care of Uh, why don't you and Elizabeth go outside?
19: You won't forget to lock the doors
1: The doors lock all by themselves But I'll make sure they're good and locked
19: All right, dear Come along, Elizabeth Men can be so stupid about these things, can't they? Oh, they mean well
1: Oh. Miss Thomas?
19: Yes, Mr. Anderson? Uh, where were we? You were giving me a message for Mr. Gribble.
1: Oh. Well, I'll give it to you on the way out. No, we'll go out the back way.
19: All
16: right.
1: Uh, call Mr. Gribble on Monday and tell him that all the figures for the group insurance setup have been forwarded to New York. Right. We won't have any definite word for at least a week, and by that time I'll be back in the office. Right. You've got it all straight now.
24: The group insurance figures have been forwarded to New York. We'll have word in about a week, and by then, you'll be back in the office.
1: Good girl. Uh, Was everything all right, Ed?
36: Well, not quite. Bud had the bags in all right, but he didn't leave room for anybody to sit.
1: (laughs) That's my boy.
23: Oh, gosh, how did I know?
36: We've got it all set now, Jim.
23: Where's Kathy?
34: Kathy? I'm coming. Mother, when Bud sat on my suitcase, he broke something.
23: I did not.
34: Well, I heard something crack. I think going away is so exciting, don't you, Margaret? Oh, yes, very exciting.
19: (laughs) Not that I'd know, of course. (laughs) (laughs) I just sit here in this sweltering town and... Kathy! Ye
1: gods, what have you been up to now?
13: you told me to bury the worms.
1: I didn't tell you to crawl in with them. (laughs) Betty... See if you can scrape some of that mud off her face.
34: Yes, Father.
1: All right, let's get in. I'd like to see if we can't get up there before Labor Day.
9: Have a nice
36: time, Mr. Anderson. And don't
9: worry about the office. Everything's going to be fine.
1: I hope so.
19: Goodbye, Margaret. And if you have time, dear, be sure to drop us a card. Oh,
36: I shall. Get your big one for me, Jim. Okay, Hank. A lot of
1: fun, pal. I'll sure try. Are we all set? All set, Dad. Well, we'll be seeing you. Jim What is it, honey?
19: I have the most horrible feeling I think I forgot to turn off the hot water heater No,
1: Margaret, you took care of everything
19: Dear, would you mind very much if we
28: made sure?
1: You mean you want me to go back? Oh, I'll go Oh, no, never mind Is that anything wrong, Jim? No, Ed, everything's fine I'll only be a minute
34: Be sure it's off all the way, Jim Yes, dear Mother, I can't get the dirt off her face. She looks like she's been eating it. What were you doing, Kathy?
13: Well, Daddy said I had to bury the worms, so I was digging a lot of holes.
23: Why didn't you just dump them all in one hole?
13: They were too crowded. I just put two in each hole because I didn't want them to be lonesome. (laughs) But I had one left over.
36: So you had to dig up a friend for him,
13: huh? Gosh, I didn't even think of that. I just chopped him in two.
1: The pilot light was off, Margaret. You had nothing to worry about.
19: Thank you, dear. I feel much better now.
1: Well, I guess we're about ready to go.
13: Bye-bye. Bye-bye. What's the matter, Dad? I
19: will.
23: I
1: can't find the car keys.
19: Oh, Jim.
1: Well, I had them two minutes ago. I started the motor.
23: Maybe you left them in the house.
19: Do you want Bud to go inside and see, dear?
1: Never mind. I'll go. And,
19: and Jim, see if the door to the basement's locked.
1: I locked it on the way out.
19: Well, try it again, dear, just to be sure.
5: (laughs) (laughs)
34: Mother, I can't even scrape the mud off her face Stick your tongue out, dopey No,
13: I don't want to get washed with spit
19: (laughs) (laughs) Kathy, get some water at the hose bib and wet your handkerchief
13: Okay, Mommy
19: And come right back
36: Say, Margaret, I told Jim we'd expect them for dinner at least once a week
19: That's awfully nice of you, Hector. Oh, Pish Tosh, it's absolutely nothing. You know we're more than glad to have him.
36: Tell him to come over now, will you, Margaret? I
19: certainly shall. And why don't you mention it once in a while, Miss Thomas? I'll be very glad to.
23: Hey, we're never going to get started.
19: Oh, I think your father's coming now. Did you find them, Jim?
1: They were on the stove. Well,
36: hold on to your hats, kid.
1: Oh, Everything's all locked, everything's all turned off, and everything's all put away. Now, do you suppose we can get out of here?
23: I hope so, dear.
1: Have we got everything? All the luggage, all the packages, all the junk?
23: I think so. Shove over, will you, Betty? I haven't got any room. Well, who has? Well, pull your suitcase around. It's sticking me in the ribs. Oh, don't be so
1: delicate. Okay, here we go. Bye.
34: Have a nice time. Bye-bye.
5: Bye. Bye. Bye, -bye. Bye -bye. Bye. you will. Bye,
1: golly. This time, I think we're going to do it. See you later. Yes, Tom.
5: Bye. Take it easy. Well...
19: We're finally on our way.
1: You know, I've never in all my life seen a family quite like this one. We go through the same thing every year. Dad. When I was a boy, we used to go away for the summer, and we never had all this excitement. When we were ready to go, we went. Dad. But not this family. (laughs) It isn't the stove, it's the icebox. If you don't forget one thing, you forget something else. Say, Dad. What is it, bud?
23: We forgot Kathy. Oh, no! Oh, no! (laughs) you. <laughs>
25: flavor of truly good coffee. What a wonderful thing it is. Hot or iced any time of day. Yes, it's flavor that counts in coffee. And with our Maxwell House coffee, we aim to do everything we can to bring you the most in flavor. We start with our famous recipe. That means extra flavor blended in every pound. But we don't stop there. You see, air steals coffee flavor. And ordinary containers like paper bags can't prevent roasted coffee from losing flavor, whether it's ground or whole bean. That's why we take Maxwell House, fresh and fragrant from our roasting ovens, and carefully vacuum pack it in the familiar blue tin. No air can get in, no flavor can get out. And you get all the flavor and freshness you pay for. So for your money's worth and more, in real enjoyment, make your coffee Maxwell House. Always good. To the last drop.
1: It's just a few minutes later in the driveway outside the white frame house on Maple Street. The Andersons have returned, retrieved the missing Kathy, and are on their way again. Or at least we hope they are, like this.
19: Well, I guess they're finally gone. Mm, I wouldn't be so sure. With that family, you never can be sure of anything. Hector, where have you been?
36: I just went over to turn off the water. Kathy left it running. Oh.
1: Hey. Hmm? You want to hear something? Listen. It's quiet, isn't it?
5: <laughs>
1: yeah, it sure is. You take a family like the Andersons out of a neighborhood and the place sure calms down. Nice, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. For about ten minutes... They're a
19: wonderful family, aren't they?
1: One of the best.
19: Of course, I still think they had
4: one child too many.
36: (laughs) Oh, Kathy's all right, Elizabeth. She's just full of pep, that's all. She's certainly full of
19: something.
1: (laughs) Gosh, I can remember the day she was born. She was just a tiny little thing, and Bud and Betty. Eh, It's going to be awfully dead around here. No noise, no excitement. No broken windows? I'm sure gonna miss them.
36: Yeah, they're nice people, all right, Jim and Margaret. Just as nice as they come.
19: Well, stop sounding so mournful, both of you.
4: They'll be back, all of them, in eight weeks.
10: That
1: they will, neighbors, each and every one of them. Yes, Father Knows Best is leaving the air for its summer vacation but we'll all be back on September 7th. Margaret, Betty, Kathy, Bud, Roy Barkey and the Maxwell House Orchestra, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and of course, Father Jim Anderson himself, Robert Young. Now yours to enjoy, an instant coffee you'll love for breakfast every morning. An instant coffee you'll be proud to serve to your dinner guests. It's Instant Maxwell House, the instant coffee with a famous flavor. Here's the happiest combination in coffee. Wonderful good to the last drop flavor, combined with the convenience and thrift of coffee made instantly in the cup. Tomorrow, try Instant Maxwell House, the instant coffee with a famous flavor. Instantly good to the last drop. Now may I wish you all a pleasant summer and ask that you drive very carefully so that you'll be around to join us again in the fall. So until Thursday, September 7th, good night, good luck, and happy times from the star of our show, Robert Young, and the makers of Maxwell House, America's favorite brand of coffee. Always good to the last drop. Father Knows Best was transcribed in Hollywood and written by Ed James.
25: Now hear the new cast daily show on NBC.
1: Good word tonight is grass. G R A S S. Really? Yeah. You bet your life. <laughs> The one, the
12: only... <laughs> 30 days, next case. Oh, that's me, Groucho Marx!
5: <laughs>
12: Thank you. Well, here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fannerman, who's first?
1: We invited some girls from the Los Angeles International Airport and some weather forecasters to the show tonight... And our studio audience selected Mrs. June Palmer and Mr. Delbert Van Ornham just before we went on the air. And here they are: folks meet Grachio
12: Marx. Mr. Delbert Van uh, Ornham. Uh... That's right, sir. Uh, you're the weatherman. Yes, sir. Uh, where do you hail from?
37: Uh, uh... <laughs> uh, I'm from Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm.
12: Some people out there from Spokane. I think.
5: <laughs>
12: are you Are you married? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Any little squalls at home with their barometers dropping? <laughs> <laughs> a boy and a girl. A boy and a girl. Yes. Right? And Miss uh, Miss Palmer, huh? That's a cute name, June Palmer. It sounds like a movie actress. Thank yeah. you. Uh, you're from the airport. What's your hometown? Now?
38: Denver, Colorado.
12: Mm-hmm. Now, weatherman uh, Mr. Van Ornam, uh, I think our listeners would be interested in knowing what kind of weather you've got lined up for tomorrow. Could you tell us?
37: Well, I... When I left the office, there was uh, rain, snow, and winds up to 60 miles an hour, and uh,
12: some fair weather.
5: <laughs>
12: Typical weather man, all right?
37: <laughs>
12: what do you mean? There was five different kinds of weather when you left the office?
37: Well, we deal with weather throughout the whole North American continent.
12: Oh, I see. Well, you say any cloud of the issue there. <laughs> That kind of a prediction, you'll have everybody wearing a bathing suit, galoshes, and a pith helmet.
5: <laughs>
12: now, where do you take these weird stabs at the weather, Mr. Van Ornum? It's at the, uh,
37: Crick, uh, Consultant Service. Crick? Yes, Dr. Irving P.
12: Crick. Oh. I have a title home name, Irving. Uh, <laughs> I found him in a Crick. Would he be in any...
37: <laughs>
12: <laughs> What do you use uh, for your prognosticating, a uh, watermelon,
37: we have a fairly scientific method.
12: Well, uh, uh, how do you find out? Do you look in the morning paper like all the rest of us?
37: <laughs> no, we have a, a setup of teletypes, and we get weather reports from the wine islands and Alaska and all through Canada mm-hmm. and the United States into the Caribbean Sea.
12: Well, what's the need of a private
37: weather service? Like that's a private service?
12: Uh, yes, sir. Uh, doesn't the Weather Bureau, the regular one, make enough mistakes to go around? <laughs> <laughs>
37: They don't have enough money to give a uh, personal service to individual industries. We have a gold placer mining uh, company in uh, Alaska, and then we have Los Angeles County Flood Control. <laughs> what's rain? so funny
5: about
12: that? <laughs> <laughs> this is certainly a comic town we're living in. mention Los Angeles, and everybody in the audience goes in the staring. We're getting to be the Brooklyn of the West.
5: <laughs> Is
12: your service always 100% accurate?
37: Well, we allow for a small margin of error.
12: <laughs> I got caught forecast. in a small margin of error once. <laughs> they finally had to extradite me from Canada.
5: <laughs> well,
12: Mrs. Palmer, let's get back to you, and that's not bad work. Now, just what uh, just what do you do at the uh, Los Angeles International Airport?
38: I'm an announcer. Mm-hmm.
12: You're much prettier than Fenneman back there. Right? <laughs> just, uh, just what do you announce?
38: Arrivals and departures.
12: You mean you run a bath and obituary column? Oh, no. Arrivals and
38: departures
5: of planes.
12: The arrival and departures of airplanes, I see. Well, how do you announce the arrival of an airplane? Mr. and <laughs> Mrs. TWA Constellation wish to announce the arrival of a bouncing Piper Cub. <laughs>
38: No, it's much less complicated. And the than pilot that. is
12: walking up and down nervous, handing out cigars. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, how, it's,
38: how it's do not do it, that huh? complicated. We um, announce the arrivals for the passengers and we announce takeoffs.
12: Mm-hmm. I can see I haven't lived a full life. Uh, what do they take off? <laughs> <laughs>
38: they
39: take off the runway.
12: They take off on the runway? <laughs> This is certainly the age of progress already. <laughs> now, Mrs. Palmer, where do your planes come from, and, and where do they go?
38: Well, we have them coming from Canada. We have planes coming from Paris. We have planes coming from Mexico City and going to Mexico City mm-hmm. and Paris, well, France. suppose
12: one of your planes is arriving from Mexico City. How do you, how do you announce it? Oh,
38: Pan American World Airways anuncia la llegada del vuelo 581, procedente de México, Centro y Sudamerica.
5: <laughs>
12: Tell me, does that always bring the swallows back to Capistrano?
5: <laughs>
12: Would you mind deciphering what you just said?
38: I simply said that a plane was arriving from Mexico City, Central and South America.
12: Suppose your plane hasn't been anywhere near Mexico. <laughs> Suppose
38: it's coming from Paris, sir. What do you say? TWA de numéro 95.
12: I can keep this up as long as you can.
38: <laughs> Suppose
12: it's breezing in from China.
38: Mm, TWA Constellation Flight 12. Now arriving at TWA Concourse. <laughs>
12: Well, that's the first Chinese I ever understood. (laughs) Well, you make an extremely interesting couple, and we're happy to have you here. Now, in just one minute, you're going to work together as a team for $1,000. But right now, I want you to pay attention to some interesting advice. see if you two will get a chance at the $1,000 question. You're going to play your bet your life. Fenneman, give out with the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much
1: of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $1,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's
12: happening out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. Uh, you selected uh, National Parks as your category. Is that right? All right. Now, here's your first question. You have $20. How much are you going to risk?
38: Ten dollars. Ten dollars.
12: Eh? All right, where are the Carlsbad Caverns? In
38: Carlsbad, New Mexico.
12: That's right, absolutely right. <laughs>
38: We're
12: off to a great start with $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try?
5: 15.
12: Fifteen. Fifteen. In what state is Glacier National Park? Montana. Montana is right. <laughs> Just a little way, they have $45. All right, you've got $45. How much of the 45 are you going to try? Twenty. 20? In what state is Big Bend National Park?
38: California. B I G
12: B E N D. Big Bend. Uh, Oregon. No, 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 I'm sorry, the answer is Texas. Oh, they God. now have $25. How much of the 25 will you bet? Ten?
1: Uh,
12: 10. 10? All right, here we go. Where is Mammoth Cave National Park? Kentucky. In old Kentucky,
10: you're right. <laughs> And they wind up with a grand total of $35. <laughs>
12: Thanks, and good luck. Now, stick around. You still have a chance for the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still
1: grass. Our next couple has been in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what it is. Just before we went on the air, we selected two housewives from the audience, and here they come. Mrs. Ernestine Clark
12: and Mrs. Capitola Fredrickson meet Groucho Marx. Mrs. Uh, Ernestine Clark, uh, you're you're a housewife, huh? That's right. Mm-hmm. How, how long have you been a housewife?
40: Three
5: years.
12: Mrs. Uh, Capitola Fredrickson? Yes. Sound like a German airport,
41: huh?
12: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Capitola, is that uh, Spanish?
41: No, it isn't. It's an yeah. Indian name, yes. or uh, Italian name, but I'm Indian. Oh,
12: uh, well, what is your uh, what is your maiden name, your Indian name?
41: My Indian name is uh, Capitola Celine Janat Ozawandib Tabasana Paduk Kinu Caswell.
5: <laughs>
12: well, that's very true. On the other hand, if you put a... him. <laughs> Uh, is that is that really your name, or is is that the treaty ending the French and Indian War?
41: No, that's really our name. What, what does name. it mean,
12: Capitola, or in English?
41: Well, that means the girl with the dark brown hair flowing outwards under low clouds with a little eagle.
12: Should have kept the weatherman here. Huh? <laughs> did did you say with a little eagle? Well,
41: that was our original family name. Gnu is the that means little eagle. Ginu? Okay. Mm-hmm
12: sounds like Yiddish. <laughs>
5: you
12: know, when you throw eating, you say, well, Ganoa.
41: <laughs>
12: so you're part Indian, eh?
41: Uh, yes, I am.
12: Uh, which which part, Oh. <laughs> I, I meant on, on which side of the family are you Indian?
41: Oh, my father was a full-blooded Indian. Uh-huh.
12: I'd be satisfied to have full blood of any kind. Eh? Uh, tell me, Indian Summer, how long, uh, how long have you been married?
41: I've been married nine years.
12: Mm-hmm. And uh, what does your husband do besides complain about the grocery bills?
41: Okay. He works in the post office.
12: What does your husband do, uh, Ernestine? He's an actor. An actor? Oh well, that's too bad. Eh?
5: <laughs>
40: is he?
12: Is anything being done about it? I <laughs> huh? Do you have any little hams in the icebox at home? You look mighty cute with those bangs and everything. Uh, what did you do before you hooked your husband?
5: Huh?
40: I was in the cir- with the circus.
12: You were with the circus?
40: That's
5: right.
12: Oh. What did you do at the circus?
40: I was a bareback rider. Oh.
12: Was it a flea circus? Or... No,
40: there's only one circus. There's only
12: one circus? That's
40: right. Oh. Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey.
12: Oh, and that's the one you were in, huh? mm-hmm. well, That's my favorite circus. Uh. Tell me, is, is Jenny Lynn, the Swedish nightingale, still with him?
40: Not for the last hundred years or
5: so.
12: Well, I have been to the circus lately, I <laughs> what, uh, you, you say you were a bareback rider?
40: That's right.
12: Did you lose your shirt on a horse? Or...
40: <laughs> was bare. Not right. oh, you mean
12: the horse lost his shade, huh? <laughs>
5: That's
12: what he gets for betting on the human race. Huh?
5: <laughs>
12: How long were you with the circus?
5: All
40: my life and I'm returning in a few weeks.
12: Mm-hmm. Do you use any special horse or can any horse be trained?
40: No, we have to have a special horse.
12: Right. Tell us about your act in the circus. What do you do on the horse besides ride horseback? I dance. You dance on a horse? That's right. What kind of a dance? A foxtrot? No. no,
40: ballet dancing.
12: Oh, ballet dance. You drink a pony or brandy or anything before you start? <laughs> no, sir, You a do body. a ballet? Uh, well, whose ballet? Is the horse's ballet? or? Uh... <laughs> I thought you rode on his back. I do. Well, uh, what, what made you decide to become a bareback rider? I had no
40: choice in the matter. My mother and father were bareback riders and my grandparents and my great-grandparents and so on back for about five or six generations.
12: Well, in other words, you were practically born on a horse, is that right? Uh,
40: mm-hmm.
12: you must have been a bouncing baby, huh? <laughs> well, when you're traveling with the circus, what do you do for amusement, do you? Do you go to the circus in the evening if you're bored? Or... Yes, there's a... What do you do, huh?
40: Well, we bareback riders have a softball team.
12: A softball team? Uh
40: Uh-huh. And And the midgets have a softball team. Well,
12: we play the midgets. Play the midgets, yeah. Uh Nice team. Nine shortstops, (laughs) huh? Now, all this talk sounds very exciting. Will your act be all complete when you return to the circus in a few weeks? Almost. Well, maybe this is my big chance. What else do you need to complete your act, huh?
40: I need another horse.
12: (laughs) Well, Barnum was right. There's one born every minute, Well, I'm, I must say we're delighted to have you both here tonight. You're both wonderful kids. Now, let's play You Bet Your Life for $1,000. You run your $20 into more than the other couples, and you get a chance at the big question later. off <coughs> offstage to remind our listeners how much the first couple won. The weatherman and the airport girl won $35. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Western songs, is that right? Yes. Now, you have $20, and here's your first question. How much would you bet? we will bet 10 Jerry Fielding will play, and you identify the song. Okay, Jerry.
36: Wagon wheel. Wagon wheel to the right.
12: They're on their way with $30. Well, remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. That's the big prize. Now, you've got $30. How much of the 30 are you going to try?
41: 25
12: Give me the title of this Western song.
36: Cheyenne Chay- is right, huh?
1: They're really on their way now.
12: They have $55. All right, you've got $55. Here's your third question. How much of the 55 are you going to try? 50. All right, what's the name of this Western song? Play, Jerry.
10: Red River Valley. Red River Valley. They now
40: have $105. $105.
12: Well, you're right up at the top of those three rings up there. You've got $105, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much will you bet? 90 she says. How much? $90. let us see if you can identify this song.
10: Don't fence me in. Don't fence me in. And they wind up with a grand total of $195.
12: Thanks, and good luck. Now, in just one minute, our last couple will play You Bet Your Life, and then we know who gets the
42: $1,000 question. But right now, I want you to pay attention to this. All right, pay attention to us right here at 626-585-7500. We'll continue with the last few minutes of that show very, very shortly, but it's imperative now that we meet our goal for this second hour. And uh, That was Ernie Bear.
18: Ernie Bear. Parley's
42: wife. Parley's wife Mm -hmm. on You Bet Your Life. It is uh, impo- important that we meet that goal. We uh, need a $1,200 hour, and we're way behind the second hour. If you've enjoyed the last 15 minutes or so, then uh, show us, tell us. 626. 626- Five eight five seventy
43: five hundred. 585 7500 Bubba? And the number again, 626-585-7500. Let me just say uh, thanks to some of the people who have called in. Susan out of uh, Fullerton called in. Thank you so very much. Anonymous John out of Ranchos uh, Santa Margarita. I love that uh, name of the boy. Wouldn't you like to live in a town you can drink it? <laughs> 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 Linda in North Hollywood called in. Thank you so very much. We appreciate that. Uh, anonymous Pledge, this one from Corona Del Mar. And let's see here. Uh, Colin out of Ontario called in. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. And here's Anonymous from Redondo Beach, and he says, Coors West wants Frank to contribute. Frank, you're on notice. We want your money, Frank. The number is 626-585-7500. Coors West has done the right thing. Frank, you need to do what you need to do. And... Let's get this show on the road. Six two six five eight five seventy five hundred.
42: We only have two books left from Gerald Nockman's Raised on Radio. If you want those books, you better get them now.
43: Out the door, sixty five dollars. Also, I you know I should have mentioned this. We also have books to Tony Bennett, The Good Life. Okay. Tony Bennett's book, The Good Life, $75. You can have that as well, Six two six We're going back to same time, same station in about a minute, 15 seconds. Six two six five eight five seventy-five hundred. 585 Ed, out of Corona, called in. Thank you so very much. And Ed said he was raised on radio. So he's got that book, and uh, he's going to be tuned in and everything. So, again, we only have two of those books left, raised on radio. Once it's out of here... It's out, 626-585-7500. So many different ways to say thank you. Don't forget we have tickets for the uh, Salute to Benny Goodman and Lionel Hampton and uh, featuring Terry Gibbs and on clarinet Terry Harrington. That's coming up Sunday, December 13th at 7 p.m., and that's going to be at the uh, Ruth B. Shannon Center for the Performing Arts oh. at Whittier College. Oh, yeah. yeah, great center. That We've, is, We've that sung that there. Sun before. Oh, it's, it's a great center. hall. Yeah. And uh, all you have to do is call us right now. Oh, I think that is... Oh, it is $75, Visa, MasterCard. Larry, I didn't mean to step on you in that one. Go ahead. It
42: hurt, but that's okay. Do you have that other piece of paper I gave you earlier before we went on the air?
43: Yes. There
42: uh, is it. Where is it. Well, you
43: know what? We'll get to it after this segment.
42: Yeah. Okay. 626-585-7500. The phones are not ringing. We need to hear from you. Those who are waiting till the last minute. Well, this is about the last minute. 626-585-7500. What do we do the last... Uh, a segment of about nine minutes of uh, of You Bet Your Life, and then we'll come back and and wrap up and thank people and and get ready to to get into G Dad. It was a world that's that's it, my
43: friend. It's G Dad. It's the world that's coming up at seven o'clock but right now. Here's same You Bet Your time,
42: Life, same station, We're out your marks and You Bet Your Life as originally broadcast November 16, 1949. Calling the number six two six five eight five seventy five hundred.
12: Now then, we'll soon know who's going to earn the most money and get the chance at the $1,000 question. George, who's ahead so far? Well, the
1: housewives are leading with $195. Our final couple doesn't know the secret word is grass. They've been in a waiting room off stage and perhaps they'll say it. We asked for two young people who'd like to get married if they found the right person. And just before we went on the air, the studio audience selected Mr. Gordy Wright and Miss Virginia Owens to be his partner. Folks, meet Groucho Marx.
12: Welcome, kids, to You Bet Your Life. Now, Fenneman says uh, you two would like to get married if you found the right partner. Is that correct?
1: hmm That's
12: right. Great. That's right. mm-hmm. right. Well, perhaps I can be of some assistance. Uh, Virginia, Virginia Owens,
18: is that right? That's right.
12: Where are you from, Virginia?
18: Uh, no, Minneapolis.
12: Minneapolis? I didn't know that was in Virginia.
18: No, it isn't. My name's Virginia.
12: Oh, well, I'm glad to know you. My name's Groutch O'Marsh. <laughs> uh, now, tell me, uh, Minneapolis. Uh, I'll just call you Minnie, eh? Why, why did you leave Virginia? Uh...
5: Uh,
18: no, my name's Virginia. Okay. That sounds familiar. Haven't
12: I met you someplace before? Why did you leave Minneapolis? Uh, because it isn't in Virginia? Uh, uh,
18: no, not exactly. I came out here to take a try at the movies. Mm-hmm. And did you get in? Not so far.
12: Have you tried purchasing a ticket?
5: <laughs>
12: have, you, uh, have you abandoned all hope for a film career, Virginia?
18: Oh, definitely not.
12: Well, why don't you try it? Of course, we gave up hope for a film career. <laughs> Mr. Gordy Wright, huh? Yes, sir. You look
5: very
12: gaudy. You look right, but not gaudy. Now, uh, where are you from, Mr. Wright? Mm -hmm. My home state is Louisiana. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So far, this person has been from 11 states tonight. You must be the Arkansas traveler. Right? <laughs> now, uh, what, what is this nonsense about you wanting to get married? Is, is that right, Gordy? Well,
1: uh, that's right. You if would I can like find get... the right kind of a girl.
12: Virginia, did you say you'd like to get married? Mm-hmm.
18: mm-hmm.
12: How long have you been looking for a husband?
18: Months. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, don't be
12: discouraged. A friend of mine got married four years ago, and she's still looking for a husband. Eh? <laughs> Tell me, Virginia, uh, what kind of a man are you looking for? Huh?
18: Oh, gee, someone that's about medium height and uh, intelligent, and someone who's a good rumba dancer. And
12: you want an uh, intelligent man who can do a rumba? Huh? <laughs> that's two different men. You'll get arrested for bigamy. Huh?
5: Gordy, <laughs> can you a rumba?
12: Well, I can wiggle. <laughs> Let's find out some more about you two. Uh, What sort of work do you do, uh, Mr. Wright? A salesman. Mm -hmm. Well, my next joke may be the death of a salesman. (laughs) What do you sell? I sell Smart and Final Company food products. Uh, One of our best-known items is the Smart and Final coffee, the S&F coffee, and, of course, our fine fruits and vegetables. Do you think coffee will really go up to a dollar a pound? I couldn't say, sir. No, I don't know why you can't.
5: <laughs>
12: Even if you don't believe it, you could say it. I won't tell me about it. Now, Virginia, where do you work?
18: I'm a special sales representative for the Bazooka Bubblegum Company.
12: Well, blow me down. <laughs>
5: well, for a,
12: for a beautiful girl, that sounds like a pretty important executive job. Mm-hmm. Uh, just what do you do uh, mostly, uh, Virginia?
18: Uh... Blow bubbles. A job
12: like that could blow right up in your face, couldn't it? (laughs) What do you mean, you blow bubble gum? You walk around the street uh, uh, blowing bubble gum?
18: Well, not exactly. I go to nightclubs and veterans' hospitals and teach everyone how to blow bubbles. Mm
5: -hmm.
18: (laughs) How did you ever
12: land a job like that?
18: I was chosen out of a group of models to represent Miss Bazooka.
12: You, you're Miss Bazooka. Mm-hmm. You? you must be loaded, huh?
18: <laughs> <laughs> well, how old
12: are you, Minneapolis? I mean, uh, Virginia? Uh,
18: uh, Twenty-one.
12: And how old are you, Gordy? Twenty-eight. Twenty-eight. Yeah. Coincidence? That's just what I am—twenty-one and twenty-eight. Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
12: Who knows? Maybe you two are meant for each other. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, do, do you have any definite ideas about the uh, kind of person you're looking for? Say, about uh, five foot five, uh, Gordy? Just about right. Eyes that are full of mystery?
5: Mm-hmm.
12: A figure that stands out in the crowd? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, stop looking at Virginia when you answer me, huh? <laughs> now, if this person answered all this description, and plus that was a movie star, do you think you could fall in love? I yeah, know I could. Kiss me, you fool. That's me, Gronkola. <laughs> And remember, Virginia, if he gets all puckered oh, no. up, he's not interested in snapping his bottle gun.
5: Huh? <laughs> well,
12: you're you're a mighty cute couple, and uh, I hope you'll go through life together blowing bubbles. Huh? Now let's play. You bet your life. If you can beat our other two couples in the quiz, you'll get a crack at the thousand dollar question. I can't tell you how much they won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The bareback rider and the housewife are ahead with hundred ninety-five dollars. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you to your $20. You selected personalities behind the movie scenes as your category, okay? Sure. Yeah. All right, here's your first question. How much will you bet? Ten. No. Ten. What is Pace Westmore's job in the making of a movie? Makeup. Makeup man is right. <laughs>
18: They're
1: on their way with
12: $30. Remember, you're going for $1,000 tonight. How much of your $30 will you try? Oh, Twenty dollars. Twenty dollars. Okay. What is Max Steiner's job in the movies?
18: Makeup. No. Designer. Uh, here's yourself. Heard
12: yourself. No, oh, you've had three good, healthy answers, but you're Steiner. still wrong, huh? Max Steiner's a cameraman. No, no, that's <laughs> four <laughs> answers, but he's a... He's oh, a music... So no, he's the musical director, huh?
1: They now have $10. We I go know. out of
12: our way to be kindly around here. Now, here's your third question. How much oh, of the $10 five. will you try? $5. Dollars. All right. What is Edith Head's job in the movies? Designer. Those designer is right. Sir. On the way again, they have $15. Now you have $15, and here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the $15? Shoot the word.
18: word. What
12: is Natalie Kalmas' job in making pictures? Technicolor director. Technicolor director is right. (laughs) And they wind up with
1: $30. And that means the two housewives with $195 get the chance at the $1,000 question. (laughs) And here's the winning couple, Groucho, the two housewives.
12: Ready to try for $1,000. Mm-hmm. All right, good luck, and I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so talk it over thoroughly and no help in the audience, please. Let's see how much you know about your government. $1,000. Who is the Senate Majority Leader? <laughs> What is the answer you two have decided upon? We
41: haven't. Oh, only one no. I can think of is Fielding.
12: Or no, we I'm haven't... sorry, it's, uh, it's Senator Scott Lucas.
41: Oh.
12: I'm sorry, that's the correct answer. So that means the big question next week will be worth fifteen hundred dollars. Congratulations and thanks to both of you.
1: You Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Bob Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding.
44: The Goldberg, brought to you every weekday at this time by the makers of High Test Oxidol.
21: Mother, look at this luncheon cloth. It's positively gray. I'd rather not give a party than have to let the girl see that.
44: <laughs> well, somebody's young daughter's having a fit. And you really can't blame her. If that luncheon cloth's really half as bad as she says it is, because here, this girl's probably just like yours. Been brought up in a nice home with everything clean and spotless, and she just won't stand for things not being up to standard. Of course, the thing that's happened probably is that Mother's been using some lazy laundry soap in her washing machine. But if she'll just switch to Oxidol, friend-daughter would never have reason to be ashamed of the table linen. No, because Oxidol's a bear for getting things white. Dazzling white every single wash. And say, just to sh- show you what I mean, is what I'd like you to do. This week sometime, drop in at your nearest Apex washing machine dealer. Yes, because all this week he's demonstrating Oxidol in one of those new Apex time control washers the Apex people have just introduced, without cost or obligation. And... He'll give you first-hand proof of how gorgeously white Oxidol washes. You see, the Apex Company itself, yes, the makers of the famous Apex washing machines, among the foremost washer manufacturers in the whole country, are now officially recommending Oxidol, and only Oxidol for use in their famous washers. Recommending Oxidol because after 20 years of experience with home laundry problems, they're satisfied it's an ideal soap. A soap that washes white things gloriously white yet with safety for washable colors. And what makes the Apex people so sure of Oxidol? Ladies, they've seen the reports of actual tests made in Procter & Gamble's research laboratories that prove Oxidol washes as much as nine to eleven shades whiter than many other popular soaps. Yes, as much as nine to eleven actual tintometer shades whiter with safety to washable colors. So, remember washer owners, visit your nearest Apex dealer this week. Yes, in justice to your own table linens, your sheets and towels, see him demonstrate Oxidol in the famous new Apex Time Control washer this week. See for yourself how amazingly white Oxidol can wash. And now, the Goldberg. As soon as Sammy Goldberg realized that Sylvia Allison was not the sweet, lovable girl she appeared to be, but a greedy, ambitious person instead, He had a terrible scene with her and poured forth all his humiliation and anger at having been fooled and blinded. He accused her of what she'd done to destroy her sister Leia's happiness, of how she'd hoodwinked her father. And then he went out and slammed the door. The next morning, Sammy left without saying goodbye to anyone except poor, frightened Carabelle. And Carabelle told Sylvia, just as Mr. Allison got a call from Jake Goldberg. Yes, the Goldbergs are arriving in a few minutes. Allison, overjoyed with surprise, ran up to tell his daughter. Let's visit the Goldbergs, who are putting the last finishing touches to their appearance before they arrive.
21: Listen, darling. So, what, is, what is Papa doing, I think he's inside finishing his course Yeah? Mm-hmm. All right, Mama. So, so give me my, my my pocketbook. i got a couple postal cards. I'll give a scribble. Not now, Ma. Huh? Why not? Papa and Uncle David are still swallowing a cup, he said. So give me the... I think I have three postal cuts." picture post cuts. I've only sent to Martha to Wilberforce and to Mrs. Bloom and one to all the girls. G- g- give me, Mama. you open, open the bag, please. But I'll scribble. Mom, no, I you didn't fix you here yet, and you're in between the powder and the... I've i i darling. i will. You, you got my fountain pen. Look, darling. she I got my fountain pen. I think i got in Kinnet. Look, no. see, Shake it. Shake it. Wait. Right. Yeah, I think... All right. right, so give me, darling. So, so, right, Mom, you're right. Here. Lean on here, darling. Lean on here. Right. Uh, right. Each one duplicated. Duplicated. In according to my direction. Come. So? All right. Yes. But, without faces. Look, Look. without faces. All the time that Mama says write a postal card, there's always a trace. Without faces, right. right. So. right. But, ma. But Papa, be angry if you stop now, write postcards. Please wait until we get to the hour from here. Oh, Miss Long. In my excitement to see Samuel and to see Mr uh, Mrs. Sallison and uh, Miss Allison and everybody, I wouldn't have time to write and I wouldn't have the disposition to write and so forth. You you know me when I get excited. Please, everybody's so anxious to know. So write to Mrs. Bloom. Say do down. Say down. Um, uh Mrs. Bloom first sight. Mm-hmm. Um, say, uh, what should I say? Say, um say, uh, Mrs. Bloom. She so, says so, so don't store me the fountain. Oh, no, Mrs. Bloom, dear friend. Um, uh, the uh, I, I, I wanna stand here. Well you, you say I'm, I'm in my destination. Mm-hmm. And I'm in South Carolina and all is well and letter, uh, let it, uh, let it color, follow love uh, I have to tell you how to write a postal card say so "Have a wonderful time and regards." All oh right, Molly. write it I'm in your Dear friend. you're in That's all. In love and regards. That's all. Here comes Papa, oh. Molly. Papa, put away the postal card. Give me my powder puff. Here, yes. yeah, dear. No, Molly. Let's go. Yeah, yes, dear. I'm. I'm. I'm just fixing my face.
45: You look wonderful, beautiful. Stop at a powder. You know. I'm.
21: I'm, I'm coming. Uh, Rosalind, do you have a bobby pin? Wait, I'll see, Will you hurry, please? Jake, darling, can you all not gassed up yet? And Uncle David is still finishing his coffee in the restaurant? I told Alison he would be there in a few minutes. We will, Papa, darling. We're just outside of the town now. There's a bobby pin, Rosalind. Here, Mommy, darling. Uh, bobby pins and shmobby pins. Oh, Jake, please. Don't get so nervous, please. I-, I can't just walk into a strange house and, and make a personal appearance. After all, They're dear. not expecting Greta Gabo. Not expecting Greta Gabo. I didn't say it. And then, uh, excuse me, I beg your pardon, also. They, they're not expecting Clark Gable, not me. But uh, you you took a shine. You changed your shade, Jackie. You changed your Why did I change? Because you asked me to change. I right. said so, so, well, uh, what am I saying? What well, am I saying? You said, yes, Jackie.
5: <laughs> Never. No.
21: Never once in my life. When it comes to go someplace, do something or say something, that it comes to it, that it isn't, I said it, I did it, I want it. Oh, All right, Connie, oh, well, Seymour's calling you. Seymour's calling. So he has to blow his horn for me. He can't come over here. He wants you to pay for the gear. Molly, are you coming or not? I'm I'm coming. I'm coming. Put it away my parasol. I'm coming. So, But uh, yeah. so take mine arm.
45: Give me your hand.
21: Take mine arm, yes yeah.
45: Hi, Molly, Molly.
21: (laughs) (laughs) Like this, we'll walk down the aisle, huh? How do we look, Rosalie? Beautiful. Yes, beautiful, Jake. you (laughs) hear? We
46: look beautiful.
44: (laughs) But from what has happened in Allison's house, we don't think Molly and Jake will find any aisle to walk down. For Sylvia, standing overwhelmed by the fact of Sammy's departure and the knowledge that his parents will be there in a few minutes. She looks at Carabelle. Her father's happy voice is calling Sammy down the hall. And Sylvia feels the whole fine world she created out of the suffering of other people tumbling beneath her.
46: Miss Please don't stand there like that. I'm scared something's gonna happen to you if you don't say something or do something. You have to be quiet in anything. There ain't nothing you can think out now, Miss Silver. Sam is gone and his folks will be here in a few minutes. Tell your father, let him do something. I told you to keep quiet. Why
21: didn't those fools let us know?
46: Sylvia?
21: Oh, Daddy?
45: Sylvia, are you getting ready? Caraba, what are you doing up here? Get get the table set. Get things ready. Sammy's family will be here in a few minutes. I'll go down. Help Caraba in a minute, Daddy. I wanted to help me But first. hurry, hurry. Go ahead. Ah, uh, Sylvia. You know how many years I haven't seen Jake Goldberg? It must be certainly over 20. <laughs> we'll have plenty to talk about. Plenty. And now, at long last, we're going to be related. I tell you, it's a small world. Fate plays funny little tricks. Yeah. No, what am I standing here for? Terrible. Uh, b- 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 wake up, Sammy. Well, never mind. I'll wake him up. you help me.
46: <laughs> oh, Miss he's going to find out. He's going to see that empty room, and he's going to see that Sammy's gone. What's your father going to say? Oh, Miss Silver, this is trouble. This is sure a bad time. What are we going to say to your father? He's quiet, Captain. He <laughs> Sammy's going to come back. I know he will. Emma, how do you know that, Miss Ferry? How are you gonna tell your father to Miss Sammy? Just say goodbye. What are we gonna do with all those folks on our hands and Mrs. Sammy gone? What are you gonna tell your father about tea? Sylvia
45: <laughs> Where's Sammy?
46: Uh, Miss Allen. Not
45: in his room. We go to the store so early. Thank you, darling. Where's Sammy? <laughs> what's all the crying? What's what's going on here? Where's Sammy?
46: He's gone. (laughs) I told you we had a quarrel. Gone? What do
45: you mean, gone?
46: He just got up and left Miss and he just went away. We quarreled. All
45: right, all right, a quarrel. But how did he leave? Where?
46: He'll come back. Where did he go? Oh, Daddy. I tried to tell him not to go
45: there. You, you knew he was going?
46: I saw him go. But well, why wasn't I told? I
45: tried to tell him not to go. What am I gonna th- tell his mother? What <laughs> am I gonna tell his father?
46: Oh, I'll be idea
45: What am I gonna do?
46: Don't tell him yet, Daddy darling. Don't tell him yet.
45: What do you mean? Don't tell them. I have to tell them.
46: I love them.
45: Get away from that window and get down or open the door.
21: Wait. When... Think of something,
46: Daddy. What is there to think? They'll
21: ask you where he is, and you won't be able to tell him. Go and open that door, Carabel. Daddy, they want to know why we quarreled, and you'll have to tell him. You'll have to bring Ed and Leah into it, and everything we wanted to keep to ourselves. They'll have to know, and why should they know? Go down and open that door. We can tell them Sammy ran away for a few days. You can tell me you sent him on a business trip. Something on his business. He didn't expect them. They didn't say they were coming. It's natural. He was learning the business. You sent him to buy merchandise. And you sent him to look at some property. Don't understand. Open that daddy door. Young. Daddy, don't. Daddy,
46: do Do it my way. Please. Sammy loves me. He'll come back when he realizes what he's done. How poor has he been? He'll come back. Please, Daddy.
45: Belle, I said open that door.
44: is fighting for time to get reorganized. Will she be able to keep her father from telling the Goldbergs the truth? And in telling them, might Allison realize that Sylvia has never been what she appears to be? Yes, and how will this all end for Sammy? Now, washer owners, for dazzling white safe washes, use Oxidol in your washing machine. Yes, Oxidol, the soap that those big important washer makers like Apex, now officially recommend for use in their washers. And remember, nobody who uses Oxidol ever has to worry about clouds of sneezy soap dust. Every ounce of Oxidol, every pound and package, is especially processed to prevent excess soap dust and those miserable fits of sneezing is people's. And listen, whatever you do, don't fail to accept that invitation from your Apex washer dealer to stop in this week and see him demonstrating Oxidol in one of the great new Apex time control washers. No cost or obligation whatsoever. Just a marvelous chance to see what marvelously safe, white, economical washers Oxidol can turn out for you sure to listen to the next episode of The Goldbergs. The Goldbergs walk in on a house and secret life is still to be revealed to them, and Sammy is not there. This living story of those lovable Goldbergs is written for you by Gertrude Berg and brought to you by the makers of the new High Test Oxidol. And this is James Fleming saying goodbye till tomorrow. <laughs>
6: Wax program with Vibber McGee and
5: Molly.
6: The makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self-Polishing Glow Coat present Marion and Jim Jordan as Vibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, the King's Men, and Billy Mills Orchestra. The show opens with Jericho. (laughs) is make a pal of your wife week. Send a little woman some flowers. Send her a box of candy. Take her out to lunch. Now, wait a minute. Let's see. uh, Flowers would come to about five bucks. Candy, about two. Yes, you better make it lunch. Anyway, (laughs) that's the way the squire of 79 Wistful Vista has figured it out as we meet Fibber McGee and Molly.
47: Hey, Molly, I got an idea.
3: What about? And move over a little, please. I want to dust that chair. I got an
47: idea about lunch.
3: Well, let's not discuss lunch quite yet. I haven't had time to do the breakfast dishes.
47: Oh, well, let the dishes go.
3: I'll do no such a thing.
47: Oh, well, use some others. We got other dishes, ain't we?
3: No, we haven't.
47: We haven't? What become of that set of dishes we won at the Bijou Theater this winter?
3: (laughs) Why, don't you remember? Huh? You stayed for the second show and threw them at the picture.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Well,
47: I hope I didn't hurt Tita barrel with that gravy boat.
3: But look, Molly, what McGee, I. you? W- huh? Where did you lay that half smoked cigar?
47: Oh, right there on the arm of the chair. Why? You want a drag on it?
3: Don't be silly. But is that any place to put a lighted cigar?
47: No, I guess it ain't at that. I'll put it up here on the mantel where I can. Put use... it
3: in the ashtray. What's the ashtray for?
47: Oh, hairpins, rubber bands, stamps, apple cores, and all stuff like that there. <laughs> There's never any room for ashes in it. Now, about lunch, Molly. I thought it well, was... Well, if
3: you're so anxious to have lunch, why don't you go out and wash the dishes?
47: Oh, me? No, sirree. What do you think I am? Oh, sissy? I don't wash no dishes. I hate washing dishes. Huh.
3: I suppose I like to, huh?
47: Certainly not. And I hate to have you wash dishes, too, sweetheart. That's what I'm talking about. Nobody has to wash dishes around here today. I'm going to take you out to lunch.
3: Well, that's very nice of you. Now move a little whilst I dust... Oh, oh, what did you say?
47: (laughs) I says I'm inviting you out to lunch.
3: Well, heavenly days, I... Oh, you mean you're asking me to go out to lunch, dearie?
47: What's so strange about that? You afraid people will talk? (laughs) I didn't just meet you on a streetcar, you know. We're married, remember?
3: But, dearie, this is so sudden. That is, if you can call it sudden after 15 years.
47: Look, Molly, I ain't the guy to be stood up on a date. You want to go or don't you?
3: Yes, yes, and thank you, dearie, thank you.
47: (laughs) Oh, forget it. It's nothing that any red-blooded, clean-living American boy wouldn't have done. (laughs) Besides, this is make-a-pal-of-your-wife week.
3: Oh, it is? Yep. I thought this was peel an onion and shed a tear for the boys in the upper brackets (laughs) (laughs) week. Well, come on, hurry up and get your hat. All right. right. But it'll take me a while to put my face on. I'll be down in just a minute, maybe.
47: Ah, women, women, women. When a man gets a date with a gal, he pats himself on the back. When a gal gets a date with a man, she pats herself on the face.
3: <laughs> Come in. Hello there,
10: Johnny! Hello! Daughter. Hey, where's daughter?
47: He's upstairs making a mug out of nature. What's on your mind, old timer?
10: Want to buy any soap, Johnny? I only got to sell 982 more bars and I win a 22 rifle. <laughs>
47: What are you going to do with a twenty-two rifle when you get it?
10: I'm going to shoot the guy that talked me into trying to sell this bum soap.
5: <laughs>
10: I don't believe we want any today,
47: old-timer. Hey! I'm afraid you come to the wrong house. As Robinson Crusoe says to his man Friday when he put down his telescope, no sale. No <laughs> sale.
10: Good, Johnny, but that ain't the way I heard it. (laughs) The way I heard it, one feller says, Tutterfeller, say, says, I only gotta sell 982 bars of soap and I'll win a 22 rifle. Is that so? says Tutherfeller. What you gonna do with a 22 rifle? And Tutherfeller says, I'm gonna shoot the guy that talked me into selling this bum soap. (laughs) I thought that. What's the matter, Johnny? We just did that one a minute ago. I know it. But darn it, Johnny, I'm tired. <laughs> All day long going from door to door selling this bum soap on <laughs>
47: guys prove one thing to me. If man sprung from monkeys, he must have had a Charlie horse at the time.
3: Who is that at the door, dearie?
47: Oh, I can describe him best, Molly, as the guy that always stands behind you when you're playing bridge and says, uh-uh, not that one.
3: <laughs> oh,
47: come on, let's go. Oh,
3: my, my, I certainly appreciate this,
47: McGee. Oh, forget it. After all, make a pal of your wife week only comes once a year. It's, uh...
3: Oh, 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 oh,
47: oh. Here comes Mrs. Uppington.
3: Heavenly days. Look at her, will you? Mm. She struts along like the world was her oyster, and she just cornered the Tabasco market. <laughs> <laughs> the fuzzy. Why don't she. Oh, oh, how do you do, Mrs. Uppington? So nice to see you. Oh,
39: how do you do, Mrs. McGee? And uh, Mr. McGee? Hi, Uppity. <laughs> oh, a lovely day, isn't it? I always try to take a long walk every day if possible. Oh. I get home simply brimming with a new energy and a new youth.
3: Oh, really? Who is he, Mrs. Uppington?
47: Who is who? The new youth. <laughs> oh. She means Billy Mills, Molly. Oh. Though his youth ain't awful new, either.
39: Ah, <laughs> oh, but Billy is such a charming boy and a splendid musician. He came over last night and played the piano for me. Uh. Oh, all the lovely old songs of my girlhood. Ah,
3: oh. oh, wasn't that nice. And those Civil War songs were so inspiring. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, indeed. They what?
39: Civil War. Now, please, Mrs. McGee, I... I...
3: Incidentally, Mrs. Uppington, uh, speaking of romance, my husband has just dated me up for lunch. Uh, will not you join us?
39: Oh, no, thank you, my dear. In fact, Dr. Mills and I are lunching together today, and I'm afraid we'd hardly patronize the same... Uh, uh, Well, we usually go to a very quiet, exclusive restaurant. Uh, I'm particularly devoted to a good French cuisine, you know. Oh, is that so? I never ate one myself. (laughs) Why don't
47: you get the recipe, Molly?
39: Oh, <laughs> Mr. McGee, oh, you're so amusing, really. <laughs> get the recipe and drill it, my old roll. <laughs> hey,
47: what's so funny about that? Well, I've been an expert on food ever since my childhood. Even my teeth and ring was made from an old Goodyear recipe.
5: <laughs>
47: Just to keep my eye on the cook, I had all my meals in the kitchen. Kitchen F. McGee, I was known as, in <laughs> Oh, my Kitchenette McGee, the cute and cuddly cornistere of classy cooking, carefully counting the calories and carbohydrates contained in concoctions of cow, cooked in combination with carrots, cabbage, cauliflower, and corn. Considerable corn.
5: <laughs>
47: Constant customer of cosmopolitan cafes and corner cafeterias. My compliments were considered to cap the climax of a capable cook's career when I commended kindly on a clever consomme or a keen cutlet and crowned the king of the cake and crumblers from coast to coast as I'd cut and carve and crack and crunch, but excuse us, happy we're late for lunch.
6: While we're waiting for Fibber and Molly to return, I'd like your attention for just a minute. How often during the week do you say, if only I had more time for reading or seeing my friends or for just plain resting? Well, I can tell you how you can find a few extra hours by protecting your floors with that grand labor-saving floor polish glow coat. Most of you have heard me tell the very simple story of Johnson's self-polishing glow coat, how it requires no rubbing or buffing whatsoever, how it polishes itself in 20 minutes, leaving a sparkling, beautiful floor that's easy to keep clean spots and stains are quickly wiped up with a damp cloth. Now you can use glow coat on all your floors, but by all means use it in your kitchen. It brings out the colors of your linoleum, keeps it looking just like new, makes your kitchen a pleasanter place to work in. And many users tell us that it actually makes their linoleum last six times longer than a floor surface that is unprotected. So why not ask your dealer for a can of Johnson's self-polishing blowcoats tomorrow? It's spelled G-L-O hyphen C-O-A-T.
3: You're taking me out to lunch too, dearie.
47: Well, I don't know. I thought we might as well patronize Nick DiPopolis.
3: Oh. Well, anyway, I think it's real thoughtful of you to not want me standing over a hot stove and washing a lot of dishes today, McGee. Oh,
47: well, as long as you're my wife, Molly, you deserve the best.
3: Ah, do I really?
47: Yes, you do.
3: Well, then why are we eating at Nick DiPopolis' (laughs) restaurant? Why don't we go to a decent joint? (laughs) Molly. Nick is a friend of ours. I know, but tomaine poison is an awful strain even on a beautiful friendship. Well,
47: <laughs> Chucks, I just thought that... Hi, it was... mister. Oh, hello there, little girl. Where are you going?
48: Over to Willie Toops' house to play. Oh, you eh? hmm What
47: are you going to play? Ring around the rosy and drop the handkerchief and stuff?
48: No, those are baby games, I bet you. They are? Hmm. <clears throat> So ring around the
47: Rosie and drop the handkerchief for baby games.
48: I think so too. <laughs>
47: well, what are you going to play?
48: Well, I just talked to Willie on the telephone and he said if we can get a couple of other kids we could play some bridge.
47: Bridge? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At your age? <laughs> ah, since, as the donkey says when he first seen himself in the mirror, I can't believe my ears. <laughs> <laughs>
48: <laughs> your nose is almost incredible, too, mister. <laughs>
47: Say, you, you mean... Now, look, sis, what kind of bridge you kids going to play? Auction or contract?
48: London. Oh.
47: <laughs> By the way, how's your little brother? Which one? The one that swallowed the eight cents last week. Did they
48: have him x-rayed? Well, my mama says, hmm?
5: <laughs>
48: I says, did they have him x-rayed? I don't know what you mean, I bet you... Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no, I... Well, what is it?
47: (laughs) (laughs) Look, sis, you know what an X-ray is as well as I do.
48: See, do I?
47: Sure you do. Come on, now. What's that mysterious-looking thing that sees right through you and tells you what's the matter with you?
48: Your wife, I bet you. (laughs) Come on, mister. Well, come
47: on, Mom. Let's get going. The Propolis's restaurant is just around the corner here.
3: All right, but I warn you, McGee, his food is terrible.
47: Oh, I admit Nick ain't no Oscar of the Waldorf.
5: He
3: certainly isn't. Even
5: these short orders are
3: long, shots. <laughs> ah, but I'm not complaining, dearie. I still think you were sweet to ask me out to lunch. Now, I won't mind doing the dishes when we get home.
47: Oh, I'll do the dishes.
3: Oh, no, I'll do the dishes. It's no job for a man.
47: Oh, let me do them. No. Okay, you promise?
3: Certainly. <laughs> oh, look, there's Mr. Wilcox coming out of the restaurant. Yoo-hoo! Mr. Wilcox! Oh, hello, folks. Where are you doing? I'm taking Molly into
47: the for lunch, Harlow. You know, this is make-a-pal-of-your-wife week.
6: <laughs> yes, I know.
3: Are you celebrating it too, Mr. Wilcox? Oh,
6: not particularly.
3: What? Well,
47: why
6: should I? To me, every week is
47: make-a-pal-of-your-wife week. That's my job. Uh Uh-oh. Folks, if I'm mistaken, you're about to hear the first floor show ever put on in front of a restaurant.
6: (laughs) Well, you know what I mean. Any guy who sells a no-rubbing, no-buffing preparation like Johnson's self-polishing glow coat to the housewife is giving her something better than flowers or candy or diamonds. He's giving her more leisure, more pride in her home, and a lot easier job of housework. Hey, Harlow. What? I don't mean to change the subject. As if you could. (laughs) (laughs) But do you always eat here at the Popliss' restaurant? Sure. I sell him so much Johnson's Wax and glow coat. I know he's got the cleanest place in town. Is that so? Go take a look at his kitchen sometime. You could eat off the floor.
3: Mm, It seems to be a pretty busy place.
6: I'll say it is. I couldn't even find a place to sit down in there. I ate in the kitchen. No. They set a table for you out in the kitchen? No, no. I ate off the floor. See what I mean? Well, so long, folks.
47: Well, see, Johnson and the son sure own a controlling interest in that guy. Well, come on in, Molly.
3: Lead on, me pal of the week.
49: Ah, uh, good day, sir. And Motham, uh, the name, please. What do you mean, the name? Big pardon, sir, but we're very busy today. Did you call up and reserve a couple of stools?
3: Well, heavenly day. Hmm, a
47: mater de hash joint. First thing we know, Nick will start hiring redcaps to carry the tea bags.
3: Yeah. Just give us a stool or a booth anywhere, Mr. Headwaiter. We're not fussy. Uh,
49: sorry, madam, It's impossible at the moment. We're extremely busy. However, if you'd care to wait a few moments in the cocktail lounge... What cocktail lounge? Uh, right next door, sir. Of course, it isn't quite finished, but it's very amusing to watch the steam shovels. Uh. <laughs>
3: Stop shooting the malarkey to us, Sharky, and call Mr.
47: DePopolis. We're friends of his. Uh, oh, there he is, over there by booth number five. Oh, sorry, sir. Mr.
49: DePopolis can't leave those patrons for the moment.
47: Why not?
49: The table wobbles a bit, and he's keeping his toe
2: under it.
10: <laughs> ah, they're leaving. Uh, Mr. DePopolis. Yes, what is being... The... Oh, hello there, QP. Hello, Peter. Hi, Nick. Welcome to my restaurant, sir. I didn't any more expect to see you in here today than I can shake a stick
3: at. Well, you seem to be doing quite a business, Mr. DePopolis.
10: Oh, yes. Tuesday is as busy with the DePopolis restaurants as it is with you, Fizzer, and for the same reason, baked clams. (laughs) But I'm glad you're patronizing my places instead of that one across the street. What's the matter with the place across the street, Nick? Food no good? Oh, the food is being ugly-duckly, Fisher, but the service, the service is being as slow as Molassipus and Jenny Wimber.
3: Oh, is it really?
10: Yes, I can't stand it much longer. Every time I send over there for my lunch, it is taking them half an hour to bring it across the street. (laughs) If I don't look out, uh, life will lose a good customer.
47: Well, look, Nick, uh, I brung Molly in here on account of it being uh, Make a Pal of Your Wife week. Can't you give us a booth
10: right away? Why, Pizzer, for a good friend of mine like you, I certainly don't think I can right away. But the very first one that is being available, somebody else will probably get that for us, too.
3: Well, uh, how about the one you just left, Mr. DePopolis?
10: Oh, sure. Why don't you sit there?
3: head waiter? Uh, yes,
10: Mr. Uh, Give these people booths numbers five so they have a good view of the entertainment. If we only had some... I hope you're enjoying your lunch, Cupid, in spite of the food. (laughs) Well, thanks,
5: Nick.
10: Step
49: right this way, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, Allow me, madam.
3: Allow you what?
49: Why, allow me to hold your chair for you.
3: So you can pull it out from under me when I sit down. Oh, no, you don't. (laughs) Get away from there. Yes,
49: madam. I'll send a waitress right over. Hey, Blondie. Jagger
3: set up for number five. <laughs> hmm, look at this silverware, McGee. Four forks and no knife or spoon.
47: Oh, that's class, Molly. Them your salad fork, entree fork, cocktail fork, and pie fork.
3: Well, they're all alike.
47: Well, what's the difference? Everything in here tastes alike. <laughs> oh, here's the waitress. Hi, sis. Uh, What's good today?
39: Oh, hello, folks. Haven't seen you for a long time. We have pot roast, lamb stew, weenies, and sauerkraut. That's a good-looking fur coat you have on, Mrs. McGee. Pork shanks, corned beef, and cabbage, only it's all gone. Spanish omelet and veal loaf. What on earth do you suppose Sumner Wells is cooking up over there in Europe?
5: (laughs) Pot
47: roast. Same
5: here.
47: I didn't know you was working here, Mrs. Wearybottom. (laughs) How do you like being a...
5: (laughs) How do you
47: like being a croquette croupier? Well, uh,
39: <laughs> Cut it out now. Well, frankly, Mr. McGee, I don't think I'll be here very long. The chef is one of those fresh guys. Every time I put in an order, he sticks his head out of that little window and winks at me. Two orders of pot roast. And if he does it just once more, I'm going to drop whatever I'm doing and quit. And there he goes. He just did it again. And I quit. <laughs>
3: the dishes afterward. It's so nice to get out once in a while. Partial
50: dependence. Cigarette tax, 18 cents a day. 365 times 18 cents. Reasonable depreciation on real estate.
3: Oh, look, McGee, there's Mr. Gildersleeve sitting over there. Where? Oh, yeah.
47: (laughs) He's figuring his income tax on the tablecloth. (laughs) Hey, Gildersleeve.
50: Oh, Oh, my goodness. Look what I did.
3: Oh, sorry we startled you, Mr. Gildersleeve. Did you spill something on you? Hello,
50: Mrs. McGee. Hello, McGee. No, but I just spilled ketchup all over my deductions. (laughs) Oh, well, I was in the red anyway. (laughs) You eat here all the time, Gildy? Oh, yes, indeed, McGee. I come here because they have pies, just like my mother used to make. Oh, Oh, poor mother. She certainly baked terrible pies. (laughs) In fact, she still does. <laughs> well,
3: then why don't you eat your pie over at her house?
50: I can't. She sells them all to Nick.
3: <laughs>
50: well, thanks for the warning, Gildersleeve. Anything
47: I hate, it's bum pastry.
50: Now, look here, McGee. You can't talk like that about my mother's cooking. Well,
47: well, all I said is what you says yourself.
50: Copycat?
3: I ain't either a copycat. You are, just... too. Oh, now, oh, yeah, stop I'll it. Knock that
47: know. bowl of soup off my shoulder.
3: Stop it now. Finish your lunch, McGee. And uh, do you eat in here all the time, Mr. Gildersleeve? Oh,
50: no, no. Just at (laughs) mealtime. Am I hot tonight?
3: (laughs) Don't be so fresh,
47: Rocky. She was asking if you was a regular patron here.
50: Well, up to now I have been, McGee. But by George, I'm getting pretty tired of their stinginess.
3: Stinginess, Mr. Gildersleeve? Yes.
50: They only serve two slices of bread. Imagine that. Two slices. Hmm. I like bread. And two slices isn't enough. I've complained and complained, and they won't do a thing about it.
49: Uh, pardon what? me, Mr. Gildersleeve. Mr.
50: Uh, Popolis has heard about your trouble with the
49: bread, so he sent you this.
47: Oh,
50: look at that, Molly. A whole loaf of bread cut in two. Oh. That's just what I've been talking about. Look at it. You see what I mean? Two slices again. <laughs> Where's that, populace? Let me talk to that field fella. <laughs>
3: Gee, I still wish we'd have gone to the Giltmore Grill. I imagine that's where Billy Mills took Mrs. Uppington. Hmm? She's so uppity about everything, why she wouldn't think... Hey, of... Molly, Molly, listen.
39: <laughs> oh, William, this is such fun, really. Isn't it just too quaint, eating in a place with paper napkins? <laughs> just like a picnic. <laughs> sure
6: is, Bubbles. This joint gets more like a picnic grow every day. <laughs> Even this fetish tastes like poison ivy. <laughs>
39: Maestro, I like this so much better than that little place you took me to last night. You know, the place built like a railroad car.
10: Oh, you mean Donovan's Diner? Say, that guy slaps together the best corned beef hash in town, Snooky.
39: <laughs> <laughs> oh, really, I wasn't criticizing the food, my dear. Only I forgot I was not on a real railroad train, and when I opened the door to go back to the club car, I fell right into a garbage can. <laughs> oh,
3: shit. Hmm, you hear that, McGee? And her telling us about what an exclusive place they were going to have lunch.
47: Oh, well, I guess she found out it's hard to tie a feed bag on over a high hat.
3: <laughs> you want any dessert, Molly? Oh, no, thank you, McGee. I'm I'm finished. Yeah,
39: me too.
47: Hey, waiter, give me the treasurer's report.
49: Yes, sir. Here you are, sir. Two lunches at 65 cents, $1.30. Cover charge, 10 cents each, $1.50.
47: Okay, but I just...
49: Uh-oh.
3: What's the matter, McGee?
47: Uh, I left my money home on the dresser. Uh, oh. Let me take a couple of bucks, Molly.
3: I haven't a dime with me, dearie.
47: Oh, <clears throat> now give me the check, bud. Or I'll sign it.
49: Sorry, sir. Against the rule. Huh? You'll have to get it okayed by Mister Zappopoulos. Huh?
47: Oh, okay. Excuse me, Molly. I'll be right back. Hey, Nick.
10: <laughs> you know what I done? I left the house without me money. <laughs>
47: you take my recipe for a pork pie, Chef. First, you cut the pork into cubes, see? About an inch square. And then you rub your pan with garlic.
3: Wait a minute. How are you doing, Molly? Ah, oh, dear. Mr. DiPopola De says we can go when I finish these 12 stacks of dishes again.
47: Oh, that's well. Well, take your time, Molly. I'm in no hurry. What was I saying, Chef? Oh, yeah. Then you take about two pounds of breadcrumbs.
5: Oh, <laughs> mix.
6: River and Molly will be back in just a moment, which leaves me just time to remind you that in these bad weather days of March, your floors, furniture, and woodwork need the protection of genuine Johnson's wax. Floors that have been regularly Johnson waxed laugh at wet, muddy footprints. A damp cloth removes the dirt, and the rich beauty of the waxed floor remains intact. That's why we say, when you walk on wax, you save your floors. For the same reason, woodwork and furniture that is Johnson waxed is more beautiful, easier to keep clean, and guarded by the tough wax shield against scratches, dirt, and smudgy fingerprints. Have you examined recently a can or bottle of genuine Johnson's wax, either paste or liquid? You'll find listed right on the package more than 100 labor-saving uses for this famous wax polish. Read this list carefully. It will save you many hours of work throughout the year and add greatly to the beauty of your home.
3: Now, look, McGee. Next year, when Make a Pal of Your Wife Week comes around, leave me know so I can buy a pair of rubber gloves. (laughs) The idea of making your own wife wash dishes in a public restaurant. Now, wait a minute,
47: Molly. That ain't fair. How did I know Nick would be so dead ready? Well,
3: we shouldn't have gone there in the first place. Huh? Any restaurant that the government forces to serve bicarbonate of soda with every businessman's lunch... Hey, wait!
47: why why does the government do that?
3: Well, they're trying to relieve the distress of the small merchant. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Good night. Good night, all.
6: This is Harlow Wilcox speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax and Johnson's Self Polishing Glow Coat, inviting you all to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
25: Ladies and gentlemen, the railroad hour. And here comes the star studded show train. Tonight, the Association of American Railroads presents the great Broadway musical hit, Music in the Air, starring Gordon McRae and his charming young guest star, Miss Jane Powell. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and the music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. Yes, tonight, another top musical success is brought to you by the American Railroads, the same railroads that bring you most of the food you eat, the clothes you wear, the fuel you burn, and all the other things you use in your daily life. And now here is our star, Gordon McRae.
30: Thank you very much, Marvin Miller. And good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Tonight we have music by Jerome Kern and a story by Oscar Hammerstein II. And so we're ready for adventure, romance, and music in the air. Our curtain rises on the picturesque mountain village of Edendorf, deep in the Bavarian Alps, where I happen to be a schoolteacher named Carl Rader, a mighty lucky schoolteacher too, because my sweetheart is the petite and charming motion picture star, Janie Powell.
51: Why, thank you, Carl.
30: Oh, you're welcome, Siglinda. Um, that's Janie's name in the story, Siglinda. But you see, I'm sort of a bashful schoolmaster. More at home with a multiplication table than with a girl. Every time I see the beautiful Siglinda, I... I don't know, I get a lump in my throat. So I can't really say the things I feel inside me. I remember one day I was coming up to Siglinda's house to bring something to her father, Dr. Lessing.
51: Hello, Carl. Oh,
30: oh, hello, Siglinda.
51: Well, you should have told me you were coming to see me. I'd have been home sooner.
30: Well, you see, I, I didn't exactly come to see you... Oh. I came to see your father.
51: Well, if you'd rather see my father than oh, see no, me, No, I...
30: you don't understand. I mean, I always say the wrong thing when I'm close to you.
51: Oh, Carl. Carl, don't be bashful. Tell me what you're trying to say.
22: I hear music when I look at you. A beautiful theme of every dream I have. my heart.
30: Finish the words, Dr. Lessing. So soon. That's wonderful.
51: Carl, did you write words for one of Father's compositions? Well,
30: I hope what I've written is worthy of the greatest composer in Edendorf. (sighs) Oh, Carl, I am the
52: greatest composer in Edendorf because I'm the only composer in Edendorf. Let me
30: hear your lyric, Carl.
51: I'll be out in the kitchen.
30: No, no, Siglinda, stay. I want you to hear this too, because even though you don't know it, you helped me write the words.
22: Or just how sweet I think you are? Why haven't I told you? I told ripples in a brook made my heart an open book. Oh, why haven't Am I in love? I always answer yes. Might as well confess. If I don't, they guess. Maybe you may know it too. Oh, my darling, if you do, why?
52: Glinda, you and Carl, sing it together.
30: All right.
35: I make up things to say on my way to you. On my way to you,
22: I find things to say. I can write poems too when you're far away. When you're far away. in the brook, made my heart an open book.
51: this is not right to keep it to ourselves in our own little valley.
30: She's right, Dr. Lessing. You should have it published. Oh, I am no businessman. Look, I'm going to Munich next week with the walking club. And Dr. Lessing,
52: if you came with us... I should walk to Munich 60 miles? You think I'm a schoolboy? Oh, <laughs> we'll take our time. A week or more. I have not been there for 20 years. My old school friend, Ernst Mahler, is a music publisher in Munich. Why, then you must come and give him the song and Sigrinda must come to sing it for you.
51: Oh, oh, please, Father. Please, huh?
52: Mm, Somehow I feel this is a wrong thing to do.
30: It will bring sadness to us. How, Dr. Lessing? It can only make you
51: famous. Oh, it'll be a wonderful holiday for all of us. There's a hill beyond the hill,
26: beyond the hill, beyond the hill. hill, If your limbs are young and strong, follow along, follow along. There's a hill
35: beyond the hill. Dream the dream, on beyond the dream, your heart and hill, young, the song, follow along, follow along. Dream, beyond the dream, beyond the If your and the dream, beyond the dream, beyond the dream. If your heart is young and dead.
52: Goodness, what have they done to Munich in the 20 years I've been away?
51: Oh, goodness, everyone's in such a hurry, and look, everyone looks so mad. Well,
52: that's the way it is with city life. Ah, look, there is the sign, Mahler and Company, music publishers. Well, shall we go in? I wonder if my old friend Ernst will recognize me. It has been so long.
7: May I help you?
30: Oh. We'd like to see Mr. Mahler, please. He's
31: very busy. You'll have to wait. And you can take your play and your music. Now, Frida, let's not have another scene. Who's making a scene? Oh, my goodness. I'm leaving you, Mr. Mahler. I'm leaving your wretched little opera company. May
14: I introduce myself? Walk out on me, Frida Hotsfield, and you'll never work in musical comedy again. I
8: have a dozen offers.
30: Excuse me. Are you... Are you really Frida Hotsfield, the great star?
24: Uh (laughs) Ah...
5: Oh, you see...
24: <laughs> see, Mr. Marla, here is a young man who appreciates my uh, talents. Huh.
30: I, I saw you once in the Chocolate Soldier. You were wonderful.
24: How <laughs> sweet of you to say so.
52: It is not possible. You are Mr. Marla. Yes. You look like Ernst, but you should be older. We went to school together. Oh,
14: oh! Uh, you are thinking of my father. He's been dead ten years. Ernst is dead. Yes, my old friend.
51: Oh, don't be sad, Father. I'm sure young Mr. Mahler will listen to your composition.
52: Uh, You see, I have written
14: a song, and uh, my daughter has come to sing it for you. Everyone in the world has written a song and expects me to publish it. I'm sorry, I can't be bothered.
51: You can't treat my father like this. He's a great composer.
14: (laughs) well. This is a fiery little one, isn't she, Bruno Marla? Oh, run along! I'm going to listen to this little angel sing.
51: That
24: finishes
0: it. I'm through.
14: That's right. You're through.
0: Oh, oh,
31: young man.
14: Yes.
24: Uh, how would you like to take me to dinner?
30: Me? Have dinner with, with the immortal Frida Hotzfeld?
24: Oh, what a nice way of putting it, young man. You should write.
30: Well, I, I have done a few lyrics.
24: Oh. Well, perhaps you'll write something for me.
0: Come, we'll discuss it at dinner. Carl! Uh,
14: now, Mr. Marler, about the song. Oh, yes, yes, the song. Uh, yes, I'll listen to it. And then, Dr. Lessing, perhaps you'll let me have dinner uh, with your
15: daughter.
20: Are you having a
7: good time, Carl?
30: yes. But I can't believe that this is really me having dinner with a famous star.
24: Ah, <laughs> oh, Carl, you're refreshing. And I'm
26: very fond of
30: you. Are you really? Do you know what's been happening to me, Frida, while we walked in the park?
22: No. Tell me, Carl. I hear music when I look at you. A the beautiful theme of every dream I ever knew. Down in my heart i hear it blur. i feel it start then melt away
14: are you having a good time siglinda
51: oh it's been a glorious evening and I'm so proud that you're going to publish my father's song.
14: <laughs> How could I help it after uh, the way you sang it? <laughs> I wonder, can I persuade you to take Frida Hotsfield's place in my opera company? I'll make the goers love you as much as I do. Do you think you could be happy working with me?
51: Oh, yes, Mr. Mahler. But when we're together, I, I almost seem to hear music in the air. Oh! I-
52: out all wrong. I always thought that Carl and Visi Glindel, that they should sing their songs to each other, not to strangers. Oh, we never should have come here. We should have stayed in Edendorf.
35: Why can I let you know the
22: song my heart would sing? That beautiful rhapsody of love the spring, the music is
26: sweet.
25: we to the second act of music in the air in a moment. But first, safety is the product of many things. It is the product of safe tools and equipment. It is the product of the observance of safe operating rules, whether it be the operation of a kitchen stove at home, or an automobile on the road, or a train on its track. Most important of all, perhaps, safety is the product of education in safe thinking and habits. For the greatest of all safety devices is a safe man. Nearly 40 years ago, the railroads undertook organized cooperative efforts toward the creation of safe habits of thought and action. Other industries and organizations did likewise. The National Safety Council, which this week is holding its 37th annual meeting, was formed as a central agency to work in the whole field. At the same time, industries carry on their own special programs of safety. On the railroads, this work is done both by the individual railroads and by the safety section of the Association of American Railroads. The result is a degree of safety on the railroads undreamed up when the program started. In 1948, fatalities to passengers in proportion to miles traveled were only one-tenth as many as in 1913, and the rate of injuries was only one-fifth what it was then. The number of casualties to employees was only one-tenth as great in proportion to the traffic moved in 1948 as it was 35 years earlier. Such a record, unequaled elsewhere in the transportation world, has been accomplished by years of organized and purposeful attention to safety. But safety is not something that can be achieved and then forgotten. So railroads and railroad men are keeping on with their work for safety through engineering, through enforcement, through education, in safe thinking and safe practice, all to the end that we shall have in the future railroad transportation even safer than it is today. Now here is act two of Music in the Air, starring Gordon McRae as Carl Rader and his guest star Jane Powell as Sieglinde.
30: It's strange how people who love each other or think they do can suddenly drift apart. Back home at Edendorf, I had dreamed that someday Sieglinde would be mine. But in Munich, with the glamorous Peter Hotspell at my arm, Sieglinde didn't seem nearly so important. And she was having the time of her life with that pompous impresario, Bruno Mahler, who had actually given her a starring part in his newest operetta.
51: Quiet now, quiet in the theater. Oh, oh, do I look all right, Mr. Mahler? Oh,
14: yes, my child, you look enchanting. Oh, my gosh.
51: I- I'm so frightened, though, with, with all the lights and, and the people. Do and... not
14: be frightened. This is merely a dress rehearsal. See it, pretty, my dove. I will be listening.
51: Well, th- well thank you, Father.
35: All right, Music i want.
52: that beautifully mr marler
14: yes 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 she sings magnificently but i'm afraid she won't do what do you mean sir well it's, uh, it's not enough to be able to sing a star on musical comedy must must know how to move how to act how to walk up on a stage as if she owned it But in is a child she will learn there isn't time enough oh if i could only get frieda hotsfeld
51: i thought you hated her i do
14: i would give my arm not to be dependent upon her but do you realize what makes her great She's played every little town in Europe. She's been hissed and booed off stages. She's starved between jobs. But finally, after years of work, she's become Frida Hutzfeld, the famous prima donna. And so, my dear, it was wrong of me to expect you to take her place, a child who never saw a stage until a few weeks ago.
51: I'm so ashamed. Siglinda?
14: Oh, Siglinda, what's wrong?
51: Oh, Carl... Oh, oh, you tell him, Father.
14: Schoolmaster, have you seen Frieda Hotsfeld? Do you know where she is?
30: Oh, yes. Good. At her hotel, she's packing her bag to go to Vienna. Oh, I only hope I'm in time to stop her. I don't understand. What's going on here?
51: They don't want me to play the part.
30: There, oh, oh, there, child. They said
51: I'm not good enough.
30: I'm sorry, Siglinda. But we don't belong here. We belong in our own little village in Edendorf. Hmm.
51: Now that you're tired of your Frieda Hotsfeld, I suppose you want to go home, hmm?
30: Yes, Siglinda.
51: Well, I I, I don't know what to do. I, Oh, come, Father, please. Please, I, I want to get away from here.
22: But Siglinda, Siglinda, we belong together. We're happy together. And life is a song. When we are together, we know we are where we belong. feather together we pride little caring whether the rest of the world is alive long-
30: some road back to Edendorf, I thought how much I hated all great cities and all prima donnas of musical comedy because they had separated me from my Sieglinde. In Edendorf, I found her again, but we were farther apart than ever until the day Sieglinde came running to her father with a big package wrapped in brown paper.
51: Father, father, look what came in the post.
30: from oh, Munich.
51: Oh, what can it be?
52: <gasps> oh, your song. All printed and published. Oh. And a letter from Mr. Marlowe. We are sending this all over the world. We expect to sell thousands of copies.
51: Oh, Father! Oh, congratulations.
52: You must not only congratulate me, my child. What about the man who wrote the words to the song?
51: I don't want to talk to Carl. He doesn't care anything about me.
52: Nonsense. The whole village is talking about how sad our schoolmaster is because you won't talk to him. He is so gloomy with his lessons... A whole generation is being depressed.
51: Well, I, well, we can't let that happen. Of
52: course not. Now, now take this music and show it to your car. Carl!
26: Segunda.
51: Look, look, I have a present for you. I've told every little star just how grand I think you
22: are. Why oh, haven't I?
51: Music by Dr. Walter Lessing. Words by Carl Rader. Oh, it's your song, Carl.
30: Oh, no, my darling. You were the inspiration both for your father and for me. Sieglinde, the song is you.
22: I alone have heard this lovely strain. Why can't I let it go? Why can't I let you know?
30: We'll be back in just a moment Meanwhile, this is Gordon MacRae with a word of thanks To our excellent supporting cast Betty Lou Gerson, Jerome Cowan, Gigi Pearson And Herb Butterfield, who played Dr. Lessing Music in the Air, composed by Jerome Kern With book and lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein II Was adapted for radio by Lawrence and Lee The Railroad Hour is brought to you each week at this time By the American Railroads These railroads are your hometown partners They provide jobs for your neighbors They buy supplies in your town and they pay local taxes just as you and I. Thus, the railroads are more than just railroads. They are citizens, and mighty important citizens, in your own hometown. Now here again is lovely Jane Powell. Oh,
51: thanks, Gordon. Gee, it was fun making music in the air into music on the air. <laughs>
30: <laughs> well, it's always fun to peek around a microphone and see you standing there, Janie. But
51: well, when you peek about a month from now, Gordon, you'll see me again.
30: That's right. We'll be back in old Heidelberg together for the student prints.
51: I've already got my passport.
30: <laughs> and by the way, don't miss next week's Railroad Hour, Janie. We'll have Kenny Baker and Lucille Norman in one of America's favorite operettas, Blossom Time.
51: You know what? I'll have my head right inside that radio. <laughs> All aboard!
30: Well, good night, Janie. It looks as though we're ready to pull out. And so until next week, Goodbye. <laughs>
25: Music in the air was presented by special arrangement with Tams Whitmark Music Library. Gordon McRae is now being seen in the Warner Brothers Technicolor production, Look for the Silver Lining. Jane Powell appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Red Danube, starring Walter Pigeon, Ethel Barrymore, and Peter Lawford. Our choir is under the direction of Norman Luboff, and our music is arranged and conducted by Carmen Dragon. This is Marvin Miller saying goodbye until next week for the Association of American Railroads. And now, keep tuned to your Monday night of music on NBC.
33: Christopher Lynch stars on The Voice of Firestone, coming up on NBC.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you'll return next week for the old-time radio daytime shows. Be sure to listen to our other programs on the Strangers
5: and Pilgrims podcast.